0: This is Judy Herman, advocate for authentic humanity, counselor and author of Beyond Messy Relationships. You are listening to Hashtag POD Podcasts of Dentistry with Dr. Panks. podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. I believe everyone has a story to tell. And if you want to start a podcast to tell your story, the easiest way to start one is squadcast. No special hardwares, no special softwares needed for you or your guests. You simply start podcasting using any laptop or desktop or Android phone and even a Chromebook in a browser like Chrome, Firefox, Opera. Brave. So, you may ask, how did you do it? Well, it's simple. As a host, you simply schedule an interview on your dashboard. Share that particular link to the guest and hit record to get studio quality audio. Done. Simple. No signups needed by your guests, no special mics needed by anyone and still get studio quality audio. There can be up to four people at one time including the host. You can even see the video of your guests. Connect any earphone or headphones with mic and you're golden. When you're done, simply stop recording and everything with separate tracks is automatically uploaded on your dashboard, ready to download in no time. Most of the basic audio editing is also automatically done when you download. Well, guess what? This particular podcast was recorded on Squadcast. Do I not make any sense? Well, they do have demo videos on their website to show you exactly how it is done. I did use the support and they have best in the class support. They are so confident in their services that they have even compared their services with other competitors. Another thing that gives me peace of mind is redundancy. That means that even if there is some error, you can still get the backup of all the recordings sent to you in your email through your dashboard. So, if you really like the idea of starting your own podcast, podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. The subscription starts only at $10 per month. You can cancel anytime through your account without making any calls or any chains of emails. Super easy. Once again, to support this show, simply go to podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. Give it a try. Hello, Coordination. This is your host, Dr. Pank Stinger, and welcome to hashtag POD and session number 15. Today, we have yet another great dental podcast. Today, we have Mr. Ian McNichol, the author of the book Mastering Practice Growth Definitive Guide to Growing Your Dental Practice or Dental Group. This is indeed a very special podcast because I get to talk to Mr. Ian McNichol who shares his roller coaster ride of a journey. Mr. Ian shares his story of establishing one of the biggest and award-winning company, WEO Media, which caters to the need of Dennis and big DSOs all around the country. This podcast takes a few minutes to warm up. But then Mr. Ian actually opens up with his inspiring story. There's a lot of shared knowledge, education, and entrepreneurial spirit that will inspire you to do something big, just like him. He talks in great detail about how he set up his WEO media company, and ended up winning best-in-class rewards from very humble beginnings. Then of course, we also talk about DSO Project. In all the conversation, he not only shares his experiences of WEO media, but also the foundational questions, why to even think about setting up a DSO. If you are even remotely interested to set up your own DSO, this podcast will help you answer a few of those fundamental questions and the path that you should take or not take to set up your own DSO. Ian also predicts how long does this winning streak of DSOs will actually continue and how quickly you should act one way or the other. Please also note, this podcast was recorded pre-COVID-19, so use your judgment wisely. We talked all topics pertaining to social media, marketing, KPIs, culture, team, success, and whatnot. He of course also shared his mentors and how he did what he did. He shares his secret of being successful and his source of happiness, his sense of achievement, and everything in between. He shares so much value that you will want to take some notes, just like I did. I always love to deep dive in Tim Ferriss-inspired questions. And as usual, those questions brought in a great understanding and mindset of Ian. Gosh, there's so much we all can learn and implement from this podcast. So without further ado, let's welcome Mr. Ian McNichol, for session 15 at hashtag POD podcast of dentistry.com. Thank you. Uh, officially, now I would uh, welcome you. Uh, thank you for coming here, uh, Mr. Pickle. You did your MBA from Washington State, right?
1: Uh, un- undergrad was Washington State University for mechanical engineering, and then uh, my grad MBA was University of Washington, yeah.
0: Okay, University of Washington. Now, okay, so you did mechanical engineering you know where you're yeah. going right uh, sure and now <laughs> and you're getting into mba okay that makes sense how did you transition to get into the dental world
1: yeah so it's kind of an interesting journey um so well, i started my career you know i got my degree in mechanical engineering and worked in the high tech sector in the portland oregon area for about 10 years and um i really enjoyed it you know i worked in semiconductor fabs and uh did a lot of, you know, process engineering and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Towards the end of that 10 year stint, I decided to get an MBA. So I went to grad school, um, full time while I was going to work, while I was working full time. And so it was a commuting. So I'd commute up to Seattle from Portland, uh, once a month for a few days to take classes and all that. So got the MBA and uh, decided I really wanted to, um, do my own business instead of working in the corporate world. So I quit my job and, uh, you know, making a nice six figure job and cold turkey just started my own company out of scratch with no experience and it's kind of a crazy journey, but I um, was able to do that. So it's it it an interesting program. I, I developed a business and marketing consulting company first and did that for a few years. And then um, when the recession hit 2008 and nine, you know, people weren't hiring consultants. So that became a pretty rough gig. And so my partner at the time and I, we met another guy who had a website company. And so the three of us partnered up and formed what is now Weo Media. And so that's how that company kind of got started was back in 2009. Um, We didn't decide to do dentistry, though, until about 2011. And that was really came out of a a partnership. Um, When we started the firm, you know, I really wanted to understand, you know, what's going to make us successful here. And so The lessons I learned from the consulting business that I had started previously, you know, I wanted a a client base that was big enough they could afford marketing, but not so big, they'd have their own marketing teams. And so half million to three million in revenue is, is a good size for a client. And we want lots of them. And so dentistry obviously fits that model. So the first kind of partnership we formed was with a a group in the Northwest, and they had a few hundred dental clients. And so um, started working with them. They introduced us to about twenty twenty five dental practices in two thousand eleven. And after I started learning the space a little bit, I decided you know let's just focus on this on this vertical specifically. And really, since two thousand eleven, that's been it. It's just been a, a total focus deep dive on dentistry.
0: Okay, okay. I have so many questions in this whole uh, <laughs> four minutes sure. or three minutes. Um, I'm sure people would love to uh, hear that. So so uh, let's talk about one aspect here you said you you had a good job and Mm -hmm. you wanted to do your own business what was your mindset at that stage why did you want to go to the own business Uh, my question uh, is because was that influenced by your friends your family how your family used to be or what made you transition from a good job, a good semiconductor job, right? Company job, uh, and getting into uh, your own business. What made you? What made you?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it's a combination of things. You know, I've always been pretty ambitious and wanted to, I've always kind of loved the idea when I was younger of, of running a company someday, okay. which is why I eventually wanted to get the MBA. Not that you need that, but it was helpful. Yeah. Um, And so, but you know, honestly, I was in my 20s. I'm looking around at the older engineers, these guys in their older, what I call 40s (laughs) and 50s. Right now, I'm 47, and that seems kind of a funny thing to say. But at the time, you know, to a 28-year-old engineer, you know, 48-year-old guy looked pretty old. Yeah, he is. So, yeah. So yeah, I would look around at at the the people, you know, who're in their 40s and 50s, and think, man, they're they're miserable. They're worried about being laid off all the time. And if they do get laid off in their 50s or older, man, it's hard to find another job. And I was like, I just, oof, I don't, that's my future. It just didn't look that enticing. And so, you know, I was pretty confident in my abilities. And so I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll try my own thing here. And, you know, I'm young enough, if I crash and burn, I can always go back and get a job was yeah. my thought. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. So, no, So I think uh, this is what everybody can learn. I did not understand this part. When you said, uh, 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 when I was younger, I'm, I'm much older right now. I probably understand that. But when I was younger, I couldn't really see myself going into see what my seasoned dentist would be doing at that particular age. You know, what you already saw, you know, 47, 57-year-old, uh, uh, you know, your own peers, basically, your own colleagues yeah. in 70 you didn't like that. So I think that's a good uh, takeaway. Look at your peers, Look at your look at your own peers to see. Where the trajectory, the trajectory might not be mm-hmm. way different, uh, you know, uh, unless you're awesome, unless you're like a Nobel laureate or something, you know, <laughs> which yeah. we, most of us are not. OK, so that's good. So that was a good um, a thought process and confidence to leave everything. Cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Again, what made you so confident at that stage?
1: Uh, It's important. I think when you're in your 20s, it's more ignorance than confidence. Um, You 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 know, when you're young, you think you're invincible and you know everything, and you can go and conquer the world. And so there's a certain amount of hubris and a lot of ignorance. (laughs) And uh, that's true of a lot of people in that age group, myself included, when I was that age. So I just I felt like I could do it.
0: But what about the the phase of you uh, getting into a partnership, getting into a media company uh, you didn't obviously plan that at the way you're telling me uh, doesn't seem really? like you'd planned that you're going to open up a media company or something but uh, what and apart from so-called ignorance and hubris <laughs> <laughs> we all have that but apart from that did you still have some some something to fall back on like um, uh, like a support from your friends your family your were you married at that time uh Sorry, I'm
1: a little nosy here yeah, but no, that all plays into it. So, uh yeah, I was married and my my wife wanted to get a divorce and I was not opposed to that cuz you know we were not doing well. Sorry. And so uh we got a divorce and I figured well, shoot, we're selling the house, we're downsizing. This is a great time. If I'm going to take a, a risk and to take a shot, now is the time. And so so I I bought a condominium um, which was much much lower, you know monthly cost so I really tried to reduce my, my cash flow requirements as much as possible Got it. So that I could try to start a business mm-hmm. um, So I, I don't know that I honestly if we didn't get divorced I don't know that I would have been able to really try it Because I was stuck in a house with a mortgage and it's like oh boy Can I really risk this and so yeah, I mean, that would be like one big piece of advice I give to entrepreneurs or, or, or people who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs is you've really got to figure out your cash flow and be able to live on, you know, basically your savings for a year. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to have a family and a mortgage and have all these big cash flow requirements and then decide to start a business. That's really tough. I talk to people all the time in the dental industry who say, oh, boy, I wish I could, you know, do what you did. And and the reality is it's, it's really tough if you have a mortgage and, and all these commitments and these, these financial requirements. So I think if people are serious about wanting to start a business... Um, you know, from scratch, like I did, it, it's really tough financially. Now, if you're a dentist, it's a whole different deal. You go get a loan, you buy a practice and it's an established industry. Mm-hmm. I was starting something from absolute thin air from nothing.
0: Right. It's totally different. Right, 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 right.
1: So, uh, basically, um,
0: you had uh, a change in your, uh, uh, family and change in your life basically, which, which... Which made you? We made you do uh, whatever you were able to do. So that's Mm -hmm. uh, that is interesting. And cash flow, savings for one year. I'll get back to it. Uh, Entrepreneurship. uh, What do you think uh, a a definition of an entrepreneurship is these days? Uh, People talk about all different kinds of language, Mm -hmm. uh, but what is your definition? Why? Who? Who do you think is an entrepreneur actually?
1: Uh, I think you know an entrepreneur is somebody who decides to take a risk and start a business okay. and become self-sufficient. You know they have a vision for what they want to accomplish and and they they're willing to take the risk and give it a try. Um, you know I've learned a lot of things over the last you know 14 years as an entrepreneur and you know one of those things is that I advise you know younger folks who are who are wanting to do this. Yeah, uh, you've got to be really flexible and be willing to pivot on your strategy. Probably a number of times, um, but we started out our a company originally is so different from what it is today, and it's much much better today as a result of us being flexible and adapting as as we see opportunities and and you know that kind of thing.
0: Interesting, interesting. So, uh, and then so you said you you and your friend opened up uh, you know made a partnership, and then you ended up making VO Media Company, Weo Media Company. Is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened was my my roommate in grad school at the University of Washington, uh, he was a chemical engineer getting his MBA. And so when I quit my job and started trying to build a consulting company, when I was just getting it off the ground, I convinced him to quit Intel. He was at Intel at the time. Wow. And, uh, you know, also making a good salary. Sure. And so he quit Intel and came and joined me. And the two of us kind of built that company together for a few years. Mm -hmm. Then, um, you know, when the recession hit, he, my partner, his name is Corey. He met Mark, who's my third partner at wheel Media. So Mark had a website company, and Corey and Mark met at like a networking event in Portland, Oregon. And uh, so the three of us got together and started talking. And so, you know, Mark had already been building his website company for ten years, but hadn't really gotten very far. So Mark is a really good software engineer, but really building a company was not so much his skill set. Yeah, and that's much more my skill set. And Corey <laughs> more of an operations guy, and so. The three of us together were a really good combination. I mean, that's a lot of times, too. One of the lessons is it's really the team, you know, me by myself, Corey by himself, Mark by himself. Even Corey and I joined up. Any of those combinations were like moderately effective. Yeah. But put all three of us together and we actually built something that's that's pretty special. So really, it's it's really about building a good team, I think, in the, in the early stages.
0: Great. So. So basically, the way I would say is, you should have three people. One is for the business, one for the one for the operations. Uh, for business, you were responsible for the company. Uh, for operations, Corey obviously, and for the software, the, the the technical aspect was our Mark. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. And for our company, it, that that worked well. You know, every every company is different, but for us and what we were trying to build, that ended up being a really good uh, division of labor. Right, right, right.
0: Uh, and now. With the team, uh, is the is your media company still actively pursuing new clients and you know actively, uh, really, really helping dental dental word or it's not Mm -hmm. that common? It's not that popular anymore.
1: Yeah. So so weo media. It's um. So yeah, it's a dental marketing agency. When we started it, you know, of course we had no employees and we did everything ourselves. Right. over the last six years, we've hired 50 people now. So we've got 50 employees and we're growing at a very nice clip. We service about 800 dental practices across the country, both general dentistry and specialists alike.
0: Okay.
1: And so, um, you know, and, and, it's, and it's been very successful. We've won some nice national awards. So every year at the you know, American Dental Association has their annual meeting every year.
0: Yeah.
1: And in the middle of the exhibit floor, there's a big technology expo. And every year they have an award ceremony for the best of class awards. And mostly they're for, you know, technology, hardware, sensors, software, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they do have a couple of business categories. And so Weo media has won that, that best of class award at the ADA four years in a row now. Wow. We're being the best website and online marketing company in dentistry. So we're pretty proud of that accomplishment. And, um, you know, we just kind of keep plugging away. It's still privately owned, just the three of us own it and, um, just nice, nice steady growth every year. But yeah, we're always looking for clients and, we really focus on service and results, ROI, and that's why we have a very high retention rate. You know, our retention rate is over ninety percent of our clients stay with us every year because they want to, yeah. not because they actually have to, but they just they stick with us because they're happy. So <laughs> that's me, like probably the most important metric. I mean, we can talk about revenue and growth and yeah. all this kind of retention rate is the most important thing because that really speaks to are we providing a quality product that people like. So, uh, who's your ideal client?
0: Uh, like somebody who has. Uh, $500,000 gross revenue, million, two million, five million, an ideal client which you can uh, make them uh, jump from X amount to Y amount. You
1: know? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I think a little bit unique about us is, you know, we work with everybody. So if it's somebody who just, hey, I just need a basic website, yeah. sure, no problem, we can, we can do that. They want a, a custom website or they want a really aggressive online marketing program, we can do that too. I mean, we have clients that are a hundred dollars a month. We have clients that are $40,000 a month okay. and everything in between. So we have a huge range of the type of practices that we work with. Two thirds of our clients, um, are coming to us because they want growth. They want new patient growth. Yeah. And so those people are typically between a thousand and five thousand 5,000 a month on marketing services. So if you say who's an ideal client, you know, that's our most typical client. Yeah. Um, I suppose that would be an ideal client, but we have bigger clients. We have DSOs, emerging DSOs with, you know, five, 10 locations, 20 yeah. locations. And we have a lot of single practitioners, mostly single practitioners with one or two, three locations. Yeah. So we work with everybody. We really don't have, I would say, an ideal client. Got it. We try to meet people wherever they're at. So if they're a startup right out of school, they're mid-career, maybe they're getting ready to transition and sell their practice and they, they've never had a website. Well, that's that, that's something they need before they sell because so, that's what the buyer's looking for. So yeah, yeah. we really can work with everybody.
0: Got it. Got it. Uh, so coming, going back a little bit back here, when you, Corey and Mark uh, came together um, and you said you were doing all by yourself. Tell me that time, how did you get your first client? That, that story would be interesting for somebody uh, who has a little entrepreneur mindset. How did you get them?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it was first It was really trying to understand what kind of company are we? What are, what are we selling? And then who are we trying to sell it to? Okay. And so once we kind of got clear on, well, we are trying to sell to small businesses in this region. We were not a national company at that time. We were not dental specific at that time. So we were just looking for small businesses. So I would go to events and networking events and things like that where, you know, small businesses would be. And, um, and you know. Uh, sorry, sorry to
0: interrupt here. Uh, sure. So Were you the first one, like who was actually going into the networking
1: events or uh, Mark and Corey were tagging along? Uh Uh, mostly that was me. Okay. That was just kind of how we, I've, I've always been more of the front face of the company. Okay. Um, developing the strategy and the partnerships and really my responsibility is kind of grow the company and make a lot of the strategic decisions and Corey runs operations and and Mark does the technology. So I've always been the one out kind of doing the networking and, um, a lot of that type of thing. So in the beginning, we're just trying to get traction, trying to get revenue and, and figure it out as we go. And that's, that's what you do when you start a company from scratch. Um, I think we would all talk and our general consensus was, you know, we want small businesses because Mark, you know, had his website company, which was separate yeah. and he catered to at the time attorneys, optometrists, a couple of dentists, you know, some small businesses. And so we thought, well, that's kind of our target marketer like small professional service type people. Right. So, you know, went to some optometry meetings, some dental meetings, some some, yeah. some attorney meetings, you know, just some local, just a local business networking meetings, that kind of thing. Got it. Uh, so just just getting out there in the community and networking and finding trying to find people who needed help with their website that was really how we got started in the early stages um did you did you even have a vision
0: like oh by 2019 you want to be you know you should have won four awards <laughs> did you have a vision at that time <laughs> no, uh, no no so not. so when did you when did you actually feel that you know you've got it i mean you've got something going on you know Um, so you left everything, you opened up a partnership with Mark and Corey, Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. everything
0: is coming along in 2009, 2011, you got your first dental clients. Uh, now, uh, when did you feel, what was the moment at that time when you felt, wow, you know what, I think we have something, We, we have something in, uh, in this company that, that can grow and make it, uh, profitable and success and so on.
1: Yeah, I think when we made the decision, so I I talked to, you know, the guys and I said, I I think we ought to really focus on dentistry. And um, since I was, you know, the sales, the chief salesperson at the time, the only salesperson at the time, they're like, sure, whatever clients you can bring in are are cool with us. And so, so I started focusing on dentistry and we started getting some traction. And I think once we started getting some traction and getting some positive feedback from people and really seeing that there was a need for what we were doing, that was a little bit encouraging. But I think once we really started improving our, our technology and our operations, um, cause it's, it's hard to sell something that's inferior, but if you've got a, a solid product or a superior product, it's much easier to do. So really, I mean, Wheel Media would not be anywhere near what it is today without all three of us doing our, our parts really well. Mark is exceptionally good at what he does and Corey's exceptionally good at what he does. And so once we kind of started getting to the point where, Hey, our websites are getting better. Our operational flow is getting better. This is actually something we could scale. And then we started bringing on some employees. That's to me when it started getting exciting when we started hiring our first few employees. Right. Because now you could actually see, hey, this could actually scale. Got it. And, you know, and, and the cool thing is, you know, we're hiring employees who are much better at that things than we were. You know, we none of us were graphic designers. Yeah. None of us were SEO guys. None of right. us were videographers. Right. So we're hiring these kinds of people
0: yeah. that have
1: much better skill sets than we did. Yeah. And now... Our designs are better. Now our videos are better. You know, everything just kept getting better as we hired people. Right. And so that's when it started really getting exciting, 2013, 14, 15. It's like, wow, we're really starting to build something here. That's when we started getting the vision for, hey, we could really do something special in this industry. But it it was definitely not that way early on. It was more <laughs> about survival and, you know, what what kind of business are we going to become here? And I think that's in the early stages of a company. You just you just don't know where it's going to be in two to God. three years. you got to be flexible.
0: Right, 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 right. No, that that's interesting. So uh, the reason I ask all this question is because uh, sometimes I uh, want to, and uh, I have some friends I talk to regularly and uh, they have me have uh, a similar notion. I'm like, no, oh, man, I don't think we should do that. And I just want to make sure that uh, I have a new perspective and our audience have a new perspective and uh, in the mindset, how Ian, like Nickel got... Uh, you know, famous and uh, successful in the company. Um, so, th- thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, it seems like uh, you do all kinds of work at uh, you know VO Media Company. Uh, anything, anything that you think uh, would that you're you're among the best. I mean, okay, overall we are good. You're really good, but yeah. among the whole shebang of A to Z, what you do in the media company uh, in marketing what did you think you're really awesome like nobody can get close to it what are you good at
1: yeah i think our core services is what we really built the business on or where we we really excel uh, which would be the websites um, yep. search engine optimization our, our pay-per-click um, th- those types of things are, are really really strong okay um, you know we're a google certified partner agency and, and our entire seo team uh, they're all certified and they're all really good at what they do mm-hmm. and our senior our team lead for our SEO team He's been doing SEO literally since SEO was a thing um, <laughs> <laughs> Since search engines came out. He's been doing this kind of thing. So he's super knowledgeable and really. really oh, yeah
0: good. Uh, Three months later, there would be a new panda being released and everything is you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, uh, everything was gonna be changing uh, Okay, good good <laughs> yep. interesting um, so how intimately are you involved with uh, the media company right now? I mean, you do have partnership, I understand. but are you mm-hmm. still networking? Are you still bringing in clients for, for the company or uh, it's on
1: autopilot, <laughs> Thank you. I'm still very very involved. yeah, absolutely. So um, So you know Mark and Corey and I we all kind of run our respective divisions of the company. So I'm running sales, marketing, business development, those, those types of things. Yeah. So yeah, I'm still involved with our strategic partnerships. A lot of our large strategic partnerships in particular. Um, I still do a fair amount of lecturing. I lecture at a lot of study clubs and dental conferences about marketing. Um, obviously writing the book gets us a lot of exposure as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'm still very involved, um, with, with Weo media for sure. I also am busy with my other company, the DSO project, and that is actually very complementary to Weo media. So my time is consumed between the two of those, those activities.
0: Okay uh and uh so you you initially started with networking events and now mm-hmm. uh where do you get your clients
1: yeah so we graduated from that a long time ago from the networking thing so sure. um so really the things that we do our, our target is a dentist right so we want to attract dentists that's our goal yeah and so you got to go where mm-hmm. dentists are or meet people who know dentists and so lecturing at events is yeah. always good so we we love to lecture as often as we can at events yeah because we'll educate about you know how does google work how do you optimize for search engines how do you get a reputation optimized all, all these kinds of things yeah and we do it really educationally yeah and then by educating the docs they say well you know you guys seem to know what you're doing maybe you could help us and say, yeah we'd love to you know okay so really speaking at events is huge and then also um partnerships so we have a lot of of strategic partnerships with national, some re, some regional companies, some national companies, but all in the dental space, and you they, mean, you know, you marketing something? is a universal problem for people. So, if you're a, a rep at some a supply rep or a, or whatever, an implant rep, and you've got a, a a doctor who's got a bad website or complaining about their marketing, it's a great value add to be able to say, oh, hey, we have the strategic partner with with Wheel Media, and they can help you. Let me introduce you, right? So we get a lot of introductions from our partnerships because they're just trying to help their doctors. Got it. Great, so, yeah, great, those, great. Those are two big ways we, we, we find doctors. Right. And I'm sure,
0: uh, you know, because of the name and everything, people would reach out to you, uh, yeah. you know, uh, directly. You know, even if they don't have the strategic partnership, oh, you know what, go to WEO Media Company. Oh, know, yeah. Uh, Media.com. Yeah, that com, happens a lot. And then people would reach out to you. So what is your process of hiring a client? So, for example, I come to you, hey, again, you know what, we've got 10 offices, man. Tell me what you do so what is your process of uh, hiring a client and retaining a client
1: yeah so our approach is is pretty unique um we employ consultants who yes they're salespeople, but they're basically consultants and so what they do is they scope out they'll ask the doctors a series of we have a questionnaire and so we'll ask a discovery questionnaire where we go through you know needs goals budget competition what have you tried in the past you know, all these types of things, how many locations are you, where's you located. And we do, we do an analysis of their current performance. We analyze the current website. We look at their competition and at their Google rankings. So we do a pretty deep dive on their existing situation. Yeah. And then based on the questionnaire and all of our analysis, we come back to them with a proposal based on, you know, everything we talked about, everything we researched, here are some options for how we could help. Okay. And it's customized every time for what they need and want. And so we've got over 20 different services we can provide to a doctor from WIO Media, so we customize those, those offerings. And it's, and it's all the car, you know, we might recommend, here's 10 things we recommend, and the doctor might do one or, or four or, or all 10. It's totally up to them. We don't do, you know, we don't offer packages, because to me, packages are very artificial. Okay. It's you you're trying to sell what's in your best interest, not what's in their best interest. We want to sell what they need, not yeah. what we want to sell. If that right. makes sense. That's why we have to ask a bunch of questions and people, oh, what packages do you have? We don't have packages because <laughs> that's, the, that's that's the wrong way to sell, you know. Yeah, if you're not package guys, to, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you need you need to understand what the practice wants, you know. Yeah, okay. And what they need and we we offer solutions based on the needs that we and that we find in our assessments.
0: Got it. Got it. Um so I think that's a good start. Uh, basically, starting with the questionnaire, how much time would you initially spend before coming to, uh, you know, a decision to do uh, one thing or all the twenty things or whatever? Uh, initial yeah, initial so consultation.
1: The initial consultation is typically an hour phone call or meeting in person with yeah. the consultant. Yeah. yeah. And then usually before the not always, but usually before the meeting, if we know in advance, we'll do some research before. Then we have the hour consultation. Um, research beforehand is half hour to an hour yeah. and then afterwards probably another half hour to an hour to create a proposal. So you're two to three hours in that initial phase of a yeah. potential sales process. And then, you know, if the doctor wants to come on board, then that's, that's great. And if not, our, our team continues to ping them and follow up, you know, see is, is now a better time. And so okay. we're not pushy. We're pretty low, probably too low pressure in all honesty, um, with our sales approach because okay. we really try to just be educational and, you know, if you if you sell somebody something, people don't like being sold to, and they're not likely to remain loyal if they feel like, oh man, I shouldn't adopt they're that buyer's remorse. You know, if you just educate them, go at their pace when they make a decision, then they're likely to stick with you, and that's what we want. We want clients who want to work with us long term, not somebody we sold something to to hit a quota. That's not how we operate.
0: Got it. Got it. Uh, I, uh, I think th- I think you said a very important line here. Uh, if you're looking for a long term, a long term relationship. Yeah. You should not be pushing it. Rather, they should come. They should come to us. I have a very similar thing. I, I say to my patients, uh, uh, you know, I, I say, listen, I want you to get this done. If you can, uh, if you, if you do it, it's good for me. If you don't do it, at least I'm educating you that you should get it done. You see, what right. I'm saying. So uh, it's
1: very similar to that.
0: Yeah, yes. So you're educating them. And I like, I'm in no rush. You should be in rush. You know, it's your (laughs) tooth. It's your tooth falling out, right? Yeah, it's like your (laughs) tooth is gonna fall out, or you're gonna have this dramatic pain or whatnot. So you know, come back to me when you're ready.
1: You know, uh, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's very analogous to that. It's it's very analogous to a doctor doing their assessment, treatment planning, offering them solutions, and if they have case acceptance, cool. And if not, maybe maybe next time, right? It's very similar to what we do.
0: How often has it happened to you? You know. Uh, a client that you've uh, or at least a potential client who didn't go with you initially Mm -hmm. and would come back to you like after happens
1: all the time yeah
0: Uh, (laughs) all the time uh some of them would they come back a year later six months later something on those lines
1: it's generally like a year yeah because usually you know they're signing up for an annual contract with somebody else and then about you know six or nine months into it they'll contact us and say hey we should have went with you guys uh, what can we do? And so, well, wait till your contract ends, and then we can, you know, work with you. So, do you? So, you guys don't have a
0: contract? Is that what it is? As of now,
1: let's say as of now, uh, we have month. It's it's so we have a service agreement, which is a month to month, so yeah. they can quit any time, thirty days notice. We do offer discounts on some of the services if you want to sign up for an annual contract. Yeah, um, and we do a, a price discount for that. But if they want to do month to month, we offer month to month on pr- almost everything we sell.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um. I think uh, there are two aspects which I'm really interested to talk about. For example, uh, in marketing, uh, what is the most common marketing that works? Uh, yeah, um, good question. You know, right? I think I know the answer, but please, for the audience, I'm sure uh, there are so many so many people who are like, oh, I want to spend money on Google and like our Facebook, our Instagram, whatnot. Uh, but what do you think with your experience that you've mm-hmm. achieved uh, the maximum result, you know, in terms of the ROI.
1: Yeah. So I I actually go into this in a lot of detail in the book, but I'll explain it right now verbally as well. So the, I I talk about what I teach my staff and what I teach the doctors at at the conferences when I lecture is I teach them about the six pillars of, of digital marketing. So, um, when you, when you think about marketing, you can do internal marketing. Which is always the most important, lowest cost, most effective. So you always should be focusing on internal marketing, patient referrals, of course. Yeah. But if that's not sufficient to meet your growth objectives, then the next thing would be digital marketing. Digital marketing is much more predictable than direct consumer marketing. So direct consumer marketing would be radio, print, TV, mailers, postcards, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, digital marketing would be your website, SEO. PPC ads social media online reputation videos all those kinds of things. Yeah, so what I tell doctors is You want to start with digital marketing. It's much more predictable It's got a better return on investment and it's easier to measure and then if you get that up and really dialed in and it's performing Really really well and you've kind of maxed it out then go to the direct consumer marketing because if you do a radio ad or a mail or a, or a coupon or whatever a lot of those people are going to go online and check you out. And if your online is not solid, you're wasting money on direct-to-consumer. So there's really a sequence to it. You really need to dial in the the digital marketing first, okay. and then you can play with the direct-to-consumer later. Now, as it pertains to digital marketing, I talk about these six pillars, and they all have to be – got to check all six boxes to get the best ROI. Okay. So a solid website that's obviously you know, mobile-optimized. Yep. Uh, SEO, which stands for search engine optimization, that's the yeah. process of getting sites to rank high on Google. Yeah. PPC ads, this is with Google AdWords, search engine marketing, goes by lots of names, but these are paid ads to drive traffic to the website, that's number three.
0: Yeah.
1: Four will be social media. For dentistry, Facebook and Instagram are pretty much all that matter, to be honest with you in dentistry. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: for the, the other things would be reputation management. So in dentistry we talk about the big four for review sites. Yeah. Google, Facebook, Yelp, and Healthgrades. Those are the four most important review sites in dentistry for a number of reasons. Yep. And then the last but not least are videos. Mm-hmm. So those are the six kind of pillars of online marketing. And so when we design a program, if a doctor comes to us and says, hey, we'd like to grow, our recommendations generally going to involve those six pillars. Now, if they're really strong in a couple of two or three of those pillars already, that's great. If they're strong in two, then we just recommend the other four. Um, but we want them to be strong in all six in order to get the best results because i've, I've got a lot of interesting slides i show in my presentations one of them is a, a sales funnel for a patient and so it shows conversion rate so if you do direct consumer marketing let's say it's radio print tv whatever typically a one to two percent maybe as high as a three percent response rate when you look at a website a website typically converts it between maybe as low as five percent and as high as twenty percent on a conversion. So I call it ten to fifteen percent conversion rate. Social yeah. media is similar. Then when you look at review sites, so Yelp, Facebook, Healthgrades, you know Google, the review sites range from forty percent to seventy percent conversion rate. So what that means is people, on average, will look at your website and your social media, and they're they're more browsing and getting educated. And when they're ready to make a decision, they go look at those review sites, in particular those big four. Yeah. And so. What we tell people is like, look, if you have a great website, but you're lacking reviews, you're missing the boat. If your social media is strong, but your website's a disaster, you're missing the boat. So you've got to check all six of those boxes. The most important would be the website, the SEO, and the online reputation. And then social media, videos, and uh, PPC would be kind of like the second tier. But all six are really important, and they all work together really well. Got it, got
0: it, got it. And you said uh, in social media, there's uh, Facebook, Instagram, and what's the third one? Is it Google?
1: Uh, well, so for social media, really all that matters in dentistry is Facebook and Instagram. Now, YouTube is super important for hosting videos, but I don't really consider that no. social media so much. Um, Twitter is basically useless. Yeah. Uh, other platforms. And, and, and in terms of dental marketing, I mean, there's a place for Twitter, but I'm saying just specifically for a dentist to drive new patient flow, Twitter is useless. Yeah. Twitter um, is
0: more global rather than local. So uh, I think that, yeah. that's where, and, and you know, your tweet gets buried, in by the time we are speak, finishing up this sentence, so between Google, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, where do you think you can have the maximum? Not the number of patients. I think I'm pretty clear with this idea. We don't need the number of patients. We need quality of patients. Patients, <laughs> people don't understand that. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that and uh, uh, yeah, and explain for for the audience? Which one would be better, the Google, Facebook, and Instagram?
1: Yeah, so, so Google is easily the best uh, for a number of reasons. So if you think about it, if you are in research mode, are you going on social media or Google to do research, right? Mm-hmm. Google, hands down. Um, and, and there's all kinds of you know, data that bears that out. So if you're in social media, a lot of the clicks on social media are more curiosity clicks. They're not so much if I'm on Facebook or Instagram, I don't go on Facebook or Instagram to research what's the best headphones to buy for b- my bones, headphones or whatever. I'm not looking for the car reviews on Facebook, right? You go to Google when you're doing research. Well, if you're yep. looking for a doctor, you're doing research, you're going to Google. So we see this consistently. So from a cost per click basis, Google is about 10 times more expensive than Facebook. So you might tr- pay six or seven dollars, eight dollars per click on Google. But you might pay fifty to seventy cents on Facebook, so Facebook's literally ten times cheaper. But that's because it's got a ten times worse conversion rate because it's not nearly as targeted. You get much more curiosity clicks on Facebook. So for quality of patient and also quantity of patient, Facebook, uh, Google is actually best for both. Okay. Okay. Yeah, as long as you do it properly, and a lot of people don't do it properly.
0: <laughs> right. 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 Um, now, could you target, uh, you know, a specific? Uh, uh, specific specific earning bracket on Google. Uh, I think I know we can retarget on Facebook retargeting uh, mm-hmm. uh, that people can do that. Uh, but can you do something similar on Google?
1: So when you want to target specific demographic information, Facebook and social media is much more targeted for sure. Right. And so you can get demographics, you can get more granular about, you know, their, their neighborhood, what they like and are interested. In. So Facebook clearly knows far more about you than Google does. OK. But again, people go to social media not to be sold to. So you can sell on social media, but it's not the primary thing about social media. Hmm. So we have had some very successful um, new patient campaigns on Facebook, but we've had many more that are mediocre to poor. So it's much more hit and miss. You can have home runs on Facebook, and you have a lot of strikeouts on Facebook. Google is just steady, consistent, batting singles and doubles all day long. So it's it's very if you're building an online marketing program, you want to build it on Google, not on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram are great to do, and they're helpful. And if and you can, depending on like if you're pedo and ortho or something like that, you can have a lot of success on Facebook in certain aspects of it. But the thing that's the practices that I see that are the most successful on social media. Do not outsource it to a company like mine. And as, as much as I would love to say, oh sure, hire us for your social media. <laughs> we do a fine job on social media. But the practices that do the best are the ones that do it themselves. They're very engaged. They're doing stuff every day. They're posting fun stuff with patients. They're showing personality. Nobody wants to read your Facebook post about you know cavities and flossing. I mean, nobody Certain cares stuff. about that. Nobody. Right? Does. They want to see what are you guys doing? You know, what's happening in the office? What are you doing in the community? What are your personality? So from that perspective social media can be really powerful and really effective but it really requires the office to be engaged and and be fairly savvy now we can advise on these things but we can't do that for them so we can do kind of your normal type posting and get decent results but from an agency no agency can do what the office can do themselves an engaged office will beat an agency every day of the week when it comes to social media yeah but that's the only aspect of digital marketing i would say that that's true
0: Got everything
1: it. else an agency would do far superior if as long as they know what they're doing.
0: Now, uh, the reason I was talking about targeting is because we have some campaign going on for our uh, own office and we do accept, uh, uh, Medicaid, uh, as mm-hmm. of now, as of now in our office. Now, uh, we really deal with them. Good. We have more than hundred reviews online. You know, uh, it's fair Yeah. We have 115, 117 reviews, all almost four and five stars. I would say, uh, so all being said, uh, today only we had a good patient. He said, how did you find us? Oh, I was recently moved to this area and I saw your reviews. I like to do a research on it. And uh, okay, great. Uh, so how did you finalize us? Like you've got more than 115 reviews. Nobody's got it. In my 10 mile radius, nobody's got it. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. And we do deal really good with all patients. At least we try to, you know. yeah. Um, let's put it that way. Uh, nobody's sure. perfect. But that being said... Coming back to the question, uh, we are trying to do a lot of Google PPC and um, spending quite a bit of money there. Uh, but all the patients, you know, are Medicaid patients. Mm. Okay, so I'm getting all those patients. So that's great. Good for us. But we're the only one who are accepting those patients. Anyway, so they're, they're going to come to us one way or the other. So oh, right, right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Because we're the only one in the next three to five miles which are doing a good job and accepting husky? Uh, sorry, I mean Medicaid patients. So, how could I minimize, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, such patients? Uh, because my goal is yeah. to bring in uh, a more quality patients. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, yeah, we have we have that that question all the time. So it's very common in dentistry these days with insurance reimbursements dropping, um, Medicaid not paying well. So. A lot of our clients come to us and say, hey, we would love to drive patients that are, you know, kind of fee-for-service type patients. So how do we, how do, we do that? And, I mean, th- you can't do it 100%, of course, all the time. But there's definitely things you can do in the ads themselves, in the messaging, uh, in, the, in the landing pages to indicate, you know, if you don't take Medicaid, you know, explicitly say that. Screen them out before they, they click on your ad, you know, that type of thing. So there are things you can do in the messaging um, One of the principles we generally teach is if people come to you based on price, they will leave you based on price. And so we generally avoid trying to market based on price. Now, it's it's acceptable to have a new patient special and offers and stuff like that. But I, I generally try to avoid, you know, cheapest implants, lowest this cost, you know, that lowest cost this and that. Um, I mean, yeah, you'll get the clicks and you'll get the calls. But are these the patients you really want to spend your time on? They may not accept treatment. They they suck up all your time. They may not pay. So you so know what is the quality way I, is a big piece of that? How
0: do you think we can uh, just just by the way we are putting the ads, uh, the the copyright, uh, not the copyright, uh, the copy, yeah, the, the copy mm-hmm. of the ad, basically. Is that? Yeah,
1: yeah. So there are things, the, things that you can do in the ad itself, the, the headline of the ad, and the copy of the ad itself that that shows uh, you know. If you're not really if you don't take Medicaid, you could put that in the text, you know, don't no Medicaid patients or something like that. That can, and you don't have to do that for all your ads. You can have one ad group going with that and one ad group going with with just with that without saying that. Yeah. And then you can test, you know, you can see is one ad campaign running better and, and producing more of that type of patient. If so, funnel all your budget to that other campaign. That's one of the things that can be really nice about these paid ads is you can test different ad types and headlines. You can test different landing pages and offers. Um, and over time, it can really get dialed in. What we see is it typically takes us about three to six months to get the ad campaigns really dialed in and working well. Mm-hmm. And if, if people stick with it longer than that, generally they get exceptional results. But it does take time because every market's different. I mean, we have, like I said, over 800 practices we do digital marketing for, but we and we know what we're doing really well. But even with my team, they're so good. But it still takes them three to six months because every market's different you know every doctor is different and so like we have a we have a client in the northeast area they've got a handful of locations it's the same branding same doctors same everything and we see dramatically different results on the pay-per-click ads same website same everything but it's just because we're in different communities it's it's just fascinating to me it's 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 everything's the same the ads are the same website's (laughs) the same the doctors are the same everything Yet the click-through rates and the conversions are dramatically different based on which targets, which neighborhoods and areas we're targeting. Yeah. So a lot of it too is experimenting with moving things around. So, you know, you look at, look on a map, draw a five or 10 mile radius around your location or you can, you know, to see where should I be advertising? The other thing is, you know, download from your Dentrix or your EagleSoft or Open Dental or whatever and see what are all the zip codes my current patients are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do a bit of a heat map, right? And you can say, okay, well, most of my patients are coming from these 12 zip codes and, Target there, right? That's it. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so, uh, so, I'm going to ask you two questions here. Uh, what has been your biggest success uh, in terms of uh, a marketing that you started for uh, one office, which got you the biggest result, like jump from I don't know uh, fifty patients to five hundred? You know, something dramatic. Sure, uh, sure. Versus versus something a very typical result. You know what we what somebody can get
1: yeah no so so I'll, maybe i'll start with what's what's typical so and then i'll talk you about like some some exceptional yeah. examples mm-hmm. um so for digital marketing we can consistently drive new patients for between 100 to 150 maybe as high as 200 dollars, but something between 100 and 200 for acquisition cost in pretty much any market in the country even the big competitive ones san francisco new york i mean even these these really tough markets uh, and certainly in the lesser competitive markets we can pretty consistently drive new patients for between $100 and $200 per patient. So, if a doctor says, "Hey, I want 10 new patients a month for my digital marketing," we say, "Well, the budget's probably going to need to be somewhere between $1,000 and $2,000 a month. That's just realistic." And so, and that's that's what we typically see over and over and over again. Now, the return on investment gets better over time. In the first year, there's setup costs for you know building a website, shooting a video, whatever. And in the first year, the results aren't really dialed in. We're just starting. Mm. So if they stick with us for at least a year, people rarely leave us after a year because in the second year, you know, you're not paying any more setup fees and the results are good. You're on page one of Google. You've got lots of reviews on, you know, Yelp and Facebook and health grades and all these things. Yeah. And the results are exceptional at that point. So it it takes time. But consistently, you know, we're $100, $150 acquisition cost, maybe a little higher. Now, we've had we've certainly had clients. uh, We have one in the Northwest where we're based. You know, we were doing his website and his SEO for a while, single uh, location two doc practice, general dentistry. Yeah. And we were, um, you know, had them ranking on probably around position seven or eight on page one. So decent. Yeah. They had nice patient flow. They were getting about 120 to $140 acquisition cost, which they were happy with. Okay. And which is good. And they were saying, well, what else can you guys do? And said, well, you know, we can we can beef up the SEO quite a bit and do some videos and some blogs and all this other stuff. And so they they increased their budget with us and we took them to the top of Google. So they're consistently pegged at number one on Google. And uh, in that situation, we had them consistently 40 to $50 a month for acquisition cost. So uh, that was an exceptional result. And so they are absolutely dominating that market. And it's because they're really investing in the digital marketing.
0: Correct. What is your tracking mechanism? So I spend two thousand fifteen hundred dollars with you a month. Uh, in, uh, does that include your cost, or that would be separate? Or fifteen hundred would be only for uh, you know Google mm-hmm. PPC? And yes. So one. Oh, go ahead. And 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 for so that's one question. Number two uh, on the same track is how would an owner uh, track... Uh, you know, how much, how many patients is he getting? Is there a way mm-hmm. that you would be tracking at the back end and tell them, hey, Dr. Panks, you know what? We spent 1500 we got you 15 patients. You know, so it's pretty much $100 a patient for you. Uh, uh, or somebody on our back end, somebody has to track it down.
1: Yeah, good question. So, um, so the, the first part about about the cost, so when, when a, a client signs up with us, um, everything is, is itemized. So the website monthly fee is this much. The SEO is this much. The social media is this much. So everything is itemized line by line. So you can see transparently what everything costs. And again, they're all independent services. So some things can be canceled, some can be added, whatever you want to do. Um, when it com- so when it comes to the pay-per-click ads, the PPC ads, We just have a a management fee. It's either $250 a month or 15% of the total budget, whichever is greater. Okay. And so right around $1,700 a month or so, it converts to the 15%. Below that, it's about $250 as management fee. So you know if you're $1,500, you would know $250 is management fee and $1,250 is going to Google. Got it. For example. Now, how we track and report that, um, one of the things that we do is we use tracking numbers, which a lot of companies will do. We use tracking numbers on our website and on our ads so that we can see how many calls are being generated from the website. And so the only place these, these phone numbers exist you know, are, are online. So they're not on the business cards, they're not yeah. on the direct mail and all that kind of thing. Um, so that allows us to see, and the patient, the doctor to see, how many calls are coming from the digital marketing.
0: Got it. So you're so, saying
1: something like CallRail? Yeah, yeah. CallRail is, is one of the, the common ones out there. Yeah. And now we don't know typically how many patients that generate. So we might say, hey, Dr. Panks, you got, you know, 173 phone calls. Here's the data. And then somebody in the practice then could go and cross-reference the phone numbers or the names with, uh, you know, the new patients that came into the last month or two. So it's more of a manual process that way. Okay. So a lot of our clients we don't know exactly, but the clients who are willing to share the data with us will help them do the analysis because we want to understand, too. And plus it creates a nice case study for us. And so it gives us a better understanding. So we've done this enough times over the years that we know consistently we're in that acquisition cost of a hundred to $200 every time for, for the combined program. So if they're paying us, you know, X amount for SEO, X amount for this and that, the combined budgets, let's say $2,000 a month, and we're driving, you know, 13, 14 patients a month. So that's, you know, whatever that is, 140 bucks a patient or something like that. Right. So, um, that's pretty typical. We see that over and over again.
0: Got it. Got it. So... Basically, there is no set system to figure out. Because what happens is, I think there's another uh, problem. So we have a new patient who came to us. Good, great, happy. You know, we're all happy about it. And then he didn't save our own phone number. Certainly, right? right. Because everything right. is on Google, right? Oh, I'm going to yep. type in Dr. Frank's name, right? And then he does. He finds me. And mm-hmm. then, poof, he look, clicks up the ad calls again from the same call rail number and i'm charged again which is okay but i'm right is there a way yeah. to uh, is there a way to even re- reduce
1: that down uh, or- um yeah so well there, there are things that people can do in the in the ppc settings um but yeah so there's i guess a couple parts of that um when when people call you know, when, when we, let's say, let's say 150 calls came from the digital. Yeah. We don't think that that's 150 calls generated by us. It's usually more like 10 or 20% of those calls yeah. are from what we're doing. And 80% of the calls are from existing patients, vendors, you know, people that already know the practice. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're looking to do is, and again, in call rail, you can see these flags, first time call or repeat caller. you can see those kinds of data pieces. Sure. But also, um, when, you know, what we encourage the, pa- the the practices to do is every month, go through all your new patients and, and, and be as diligent as you can every time a new patient comes in. You know, how did you hear about us? Yes. Make sure that gets noted in the practice management software and then run a report every month. yeah And then look at that to see what's working for my marketing. And the more accurate you can be with that, obviously, the better, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? If you're not tracking accurately, you don't know what's working. yeah But if the staff is diligent about asking those things and you pair the how did you hear about us yeah. with the tracking data, you can piece together the story and get pretty accurate in terms of what's happening. Now, if you're doing other things like direct mail, you'd want to use a separate tracking number for that radio, a separate tracking number for that. So every campaign gets its own thing online though is different online. We take, we typically like to use one number for everything and it's not as great for tracking, but it kills your SEO. If you use a different number for different directories, um, that's not good for SEO. So we yeah. generally have one website or one number online generally is, is the usual strategy. Not always, but usually.
0: Isn't there, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but Google was saying that they have to, They are going to stop all those call rail numbers completely and you gotta use your own number. Uh, is that a rumor or, I don't know, or maybe I-
1: no, 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 I don't think so. Um, so Google in fact has its own scripting that we use on the ads. So okay. Google has scripting that you can install into your website and yeah. with your ads right, where people call the number and when it, they click on the ad and it goes to the website, it converts to a Google number and then they call from a Google number. And so then you can see from Google, from your AdWords dashboard, you can see how many calls you generated yeah. from your campaign, right? So that's pretty common, a lot of people do that. Yeah, And so uh, to, to my knowledge, no, that, that you can continue to use tracking numbers, your own number, Google's agnostic to that. Got it, got it.
0: I think I had um, another question about the PPC. Um, sorry, I'm going back there. Um, yeah. So we were talking about okay, Facebook and Instagram is uh, you know is okay, but Google is a uh, is a king basically here. Um, yeah. Now my question is, um, would that work um, also for specialized uh, procedures like um, implants or Invisalign <laughs> or something? Uh, do you think still Google is better than the Facebook and Instagram? With um, your experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, our experience, definitely Google is better for specific procedures as well as just general patient flow. Uh, but again, we've had some really good successes with with Facebook in those areas. It's just Facebook is more hit and miss in our experience. So Google, you'll have consistent results month over month over month. Facebook, if you figure out a great campaign, you might kill it for a month or two and then it stops working. Yeah. Google is more consistent, steady, Eddie, month after month. Facebook and social media in general is, is much more fickle. Got and harder to predict, and, and even if you find a winning formula, it doesn't typically last with social media, right? Got it, got it. Uh, why don't we go
0: and switch gears from marketing? People are tired of marketing and talking about PPC, <laughs> sure. You know, um, by the way, PPC is uh, pay per click, and uh, CTR, which um, uh, Ian mentioned, is click through rate, right? Um, mm-hmm, that's correct, yep. Uh, click through rate would be like how many people are clicking through that link. Whatever is on the digital media, whether it's on Google, Facebook, Instagram, so how many people clicked, how many people stayed, and so on. So uh, that is CTR. Anyways, uh, now I am going to move towards the DSO project. I was sure. actually I was actually listening to your interview with um, uh, your uh, DSO project co-founder Jeremy Dixon uh, with Howard yeah. Fran. Uh, in 2018, it's an it's an old interview, but I thought uh, I get to know I get to know people. Probably know a little bit about the DSO project, but I don't want to waste a lot of time. But give me like 20 30 seconds overview about uh, you know the DSO project and how.
1: Yeah, so the, the DSO project is, is actually really a unique business. Um, so so Dr. Jeremy Dixon, my business partner, he you know he's a dentist, he's an MBA. He started his DSO, you know, over 10 years ago, about 15 years ago, really. Um, he grew it up to nearly 30 locations, did a great job and sold it, you know, made a nice, nice amount of money, took a year off, um, came back from his vacations and started this DSO project company. And so his vision was, you know, there's a lot of dentists who are now wanting to build a group or even a full DSO. And there's just no roadmap. There's no. There's nobody. You can't just like go talk to your buddy at your study club. Hey, how do you build a DSO? It's not like, hey, how do you do a crown? You know. Yeah. This is just really. There's very few people who've actually done this. And now he's actually. So his idea was he would come back and teach doctors how to do what he did. That's the concept. And so what we do at the DSO project is we help dentists who want to build a group or a DSO. It's a full service kind of advisory program where we really help them build a business plan, build a management team, implement KPIs, bring in funding, um, doctor acquisition, practice, you know, acquisition pipeline, the the whole deal, doctor retention, staff retention. There's a million details that go into building a group. And so we've we've built a curriculum around this that coaches these guys how to do it over time. And it's a lot of work. We tell them up front, hey, this is a lot of work. You know, if you think you're going to be, you know, Calling the day at five o'clock, you, you shouldn't even think about this. This is a yeah. this is a lot of hours, a lot of stress. But if you want to do it, we'll show you how to do it. And so what we do there is really coaching these guys how to do it. Now, it's interesting too. We've actually developed two tracks for our clients. One track is the consulting track, where you know we we coach them how to build their own DSO. What we found, though, over the last couple of years is there are a lot of doctors who would kind of like the benefits of it without building their own. And so we've actually looked at building some of our own groups, and we're doing that right now. And so it's a, it's a different model, but it's really, I think, going to be um, very popular as we as we roll it out next year. So okay. um, I bottom got line is helping groups. I
0: got confused with the second part of it. So, okay, you're helping, for example, me with 10 offices. You're helping me create my own DSO. Okay, that I understand.
1: Now, mm-hmm.
0: what was the second track that you, can you expand a little bit on that?
1: Yeah so no. so we we will in a we will go into a market and we will form our own DSO. So okay. what we'll do is we will work with doctors in a region and give them some of the financial upside cuz what happens in a DSO is if if I'm a DSO and I'm let's say just pick a, pick any big DSO right they go and they buy a practice For three to four times EBITDA earnings before interest taxes depreciation and amortization for people listening Yeah, so it's basically a measure of cash flow in in a business or in a practice So if if you're an independent doctor, you can sell your practice for about three to four times your cash flow three to four times EBITDA Now a, a larger group might be worth 10 or 12 or 14 times EBITDA themselves And so what happens is if i'm a group and I go buy um you know, this practice down the street for three times, but I'm worth 12 times, I immediately quadrupled my money. Right. That's in a nutshell, what's driving the DSO rapid growth is because the valuations are so high. So what we're doing is we're helping the doctors take advantage of these multiples without having to build their own group. It's it's a pretty interesting hybrid model we're developing, um, but it's it's uh, I think it's going to be really popular with the doctors. Got it. Yeah. Okay,
0: so got the idea. Uh, now, so you and... Uh, dr jeremy dixon you mm-hmm. you go guys are partners in this dso project am I right to Correct. understand that so yes now, now how did you like how did you guys meet you know you're a sales guy <laughs> or a marketing guy i am always i'm always interested in the story you know yeah, wh- yeah. how how did that happen you know why didn't why didn't I meet uh, dr jeremy you see what I'm saying
1: <laughs> sure yeah yeah so i think that's yeah, so. always yeah so how did you end up meeting uh, Dr. Jeremy. He was our client at Weo Media. So when he was growing his DSO, we were his marketing company. So I worked with him for several years as we were helping him grow his DSO. And then when he sold it, uh, the ownership changed and they changed marketing they changed everything and the vendors. And so that just kind of went away. And so when he came back um, from his sabbatical, he called me up and said, hey, let's go have lunch. And he told me about what he was doing and you know, asked if I wanted to be his business partner. And I said, yeah, this sounds like a really interesting because uh, what I was seeing at Weo Media was obviously a lot more of the market is moving towards groups and towards DSOs. Right. So, and I thought he he is really unique. I mean, he's the only still to this day. He's the only dentist I know of in the entire country who's built a DSO, sold it, and is now coaching other doctors how to do it. I don't know of anybody else in the entire industry who's doing that other than him. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any, maybe there is one or two, I, but I've never met them. I've never heard of them. And we go to all the DSO meetings and I, I don't think there honestly is anybody else like him out there doing that. So it's really unique because he's been there, done that. And now he's walked in their shoes and he's showing them how to do it themselves. And yeah, I mean, you're a dentist yourself, you know, how dentists are, you guys like to listen to other dentists and trust other <laughs> dentists. And so the fact that he's in the club, so to speak, right. He, you know, he can, he can tell docs, Hey, I, I get it. I've been there. I was chair side. I, I, I got out of chair side and here's how I scaled it. Yeah. And so, yeah. He's been there, so he can he can really resonate with these doctors. It's really it's really fun to talk. I think um, uh, he
0: can relate to both sides of the coin in a way that being a dentist, uh, being a DSO owner, uh, being a seller of the DSO, uh, Mm -hmm. and coming back to do the same thing. He can. uh, I think he has a very uh, unique. A set of skills you know which we all develop you you have your own skills i've got my own sure but i think he's got the uh mix of everything i don't know if you know about this uh, novel ravikant um he's an indian guy but you know born and brought up in brooklyn new york and you know he had his own startups made ton of money and then he said um i love his uh, i'll send you the link for that novel ravikant sure uh, yeah beautiful two hours of uh, you know uh, of his interviews on podcast. Um, but what he said was there should be, there are usually two components of success. Uh, one is an engineering component, and the second is a service slash marketing component. Uh, and Naval, he always, always says, uh, the engineering component is better. In our case, the dental component, being a dentist, is better. Being a dentist, I can learn your skill a little more. I'm just speaking what Naval said. Um, yes. Right. And not easily the vice versa. If I tell you to go to a dental school, probably you will <laughs> if you really have the motivation. But right, right. Uh, But maybe, maybe not. Right. It takes so, a lot more time for sure. Takes, right. So I think Naval said, you know, if you have the engineering uh, skill, in our case, the dental skill, you can quickly switch over to a marketing skill. And it seems like uh, Dr. Dixon, Dr. Jeremy Dixon has both the skills and that's why he's uh, successful the way he is. Um, yeah. Although I would love to pick his brain someday if I get to <laughs> catch him. Uh, but yeah, uh, great. Uh, so how intimately are you involved with the DSO project? And, you know, I understand with the WEO Media Company, you're getting the clients, you know, you're in, uh, you know the marketing side of the company, but how are you involved with the DSO? Yeah, project.
1: I'm. I'm very. Yeah, I'm very involved with uh, with with DSO project and Weo. I split my time between the two, and it's it's uh it's very complementary because you know most of our DSO project clients end up needing marketing help, so they end up using Weo Media, which which is nice. They don't have to, <laughs> but of course, yeah, I yeah. I offer that to them, and they generally say, yeah, that makes sense. You own both companies, right? So so yeah, that that makes a lot of sense for them, but DSO project is, yeah, no, I'm very involved with it. Um, Jeremy actually has me running the day to day operations and leading the consulting services and all that. Okay, and so we're actually um, looking at bringing on a third uh, consultant to join us, uh, mm-hmm. who's more of a practice management consulting guru, and so uh, that'll really round out our skill sets because I've got the the marketing and growth and biz dev skills, and Jeremy's you know built the DSO and he's a clinic, clinician himself, and then our new guy we're bringing in, he's also um, got the practice management skills. And so the combination, we really check all the boxes for everything a DSO needs to scale. So we're pretty excited about 2020 and where it's going to go. But yeah, I'm still very involved. I work a lot of hours. (laughs) So I spend a a lot of time on both companies and it's a lot of fun. I enjoy what I do. We'll get your hours later. I I have more questions
0: for that. Again, for the DSO project, somebody who's got eight to 10 offices in different parts of the country, for example, or even in one geographic location, How do you think a DSO project would be able to help them out?
1: I mean, it depends on what they're trying to do. So some of our clients come to us when they're only two or three locations. So let's start there. Uh, Mm -hmm. What do people actually usually come to you for? Like uh,
0: when you're at the DSO project. uh, So are they looking to, hey, I want to make my own DSO, 10 offices, 20 offices. You know what? I want to sell them, go to sabbatical, just like Dr. Jeremy, come back and do something else. Uh, Or... What are the other options that people usually uh, come to mm-hmm. DSO project for?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it ranges. So, so some some there's a couple categories. Really, first category is really people who want to build it and eventually sell it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the second category of people that want to build it and and maybe not sell it, probably just keep it going for a while. Maybe mm-hmm. more of a legacy business that cash flows. Yeah. So we we want to try to understand that right up front because the types of decisions will help them make um, and and guide them. Ha- it, it does depend on what you want to do. So first thing is to try to understand which camp they're in. You know, if they're, oh, yeah, I definitely want to sell. Cool. Here's the plan for that. If they say, oh, I'd, I'd like to grow it and just kind of build it up. Well, that, that's great, too. And so there's a little bit of some of the things are going to be the same approach. Some of the things are different depending on how we, how we implement it. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of details that go into the business planning and implementation for this stuff. So
0: basically build and sell. Uh, the second is build and, uh, you know, build my offices and build a legacy and eventually sell, right? Basically, yeah. you know, Probably uh, at, some may, point. Sure. at some point, you know, everybody has got to move ahead in their life. Uh, you know, uh, my previous question, what can you do for somebody who's coming in for build and sell?
1: Yeah. So what we do is is we we kind of do a deep dive into the current business and we're looking at Financials. Uh, we're looking at kind of how, how it's been performing. What is the management team in place, and and what is what is needed to do what they want to do, and what what where are the gaps? Okay. And so once we can kind of identify, here's what's needed to achieve this, and here are the gaps we see to to prevent you from getting there, then we focus on those gaps, and that's all part of a business planning process. So if the goal is to scale it up, you know one of the biggest uh, issues is funding, and yeah. one of the other biggest issues is, is finding doctors and locations. And so those are usually two of the bigger challenges we have to help them solve. We have a couple dozen private equity firms that we work with for funding as well as banks. So in the beginning, you want to use banks, you know, debt financing as much as possible and take that as far as you can, Yeah. obviously to hold on to your equity. Yep. And then when banks will no longer lend, then we can typically bring in private equity and really pour gas on it. And at that point, usually there's, there's some processes in place Um, there's some management in place. And so when you bring in the private equity, normally those things are are at least somewhat in place. And then we can really run fast. But you've got to build processes. You've got to have really kind of a a franchise mindset. Like we got to systemize things. we got to process. we got to measure KPIs. So you're using practice analytics or dental intel or practice by numbers. There's all kinds of these business softwares out there that we would implement. So we can do dashboard reporting Mm -hmm. on all the KPIs. So... There's a lot of stuff like that that we would have to implement and and measure to understand where they're at and then figure out where they want to go and and fill in those gaps.
0: Got it. Um, And um, I don't know if it's related or not, but uh, do you like any specific uh, uh, practice analysis, uh, uh, the numbers?
1: Um, We tend to use practice analytics. Um, It's one of the companies I feature in the book. The reason is Jeremy uh, Dixon, he was one of the kind of co-developers of that early on okay so he knows it really well i know it really well yeah Um, so we tend to like that one but you know dental intel is the biggest one out there it's the most popular yeah Uh, it's maybe not in my opinion maybe the best focus for dsos okay Um, there are others practice by numbers is another one that's pretty cool yeah Um, and there are some others but and we don't really care that much we just want them to be using it that's the main thing
0: got it so it doesn't so you're not really looking at specific uh, report etc from Uh, one of these uh, software like practiceanalytics.com etc but you're looking at uh, some specific reports which are available between all three Uh, and
1: yeah yeah I mean it's it's the it's the the big business metrics right you're looking at you know patient retention new patient growth uh, hygiene recall rates you know case acceptance treatment planning a lot of the big operational metrics that's what we're looking at in this stuff and you can track it by by person, by location, by region, depending on your size. Yeah, and so that really helps us identify what's happening. And there are other tools and systems out there that will bring in. Sure. Um, compliance becomes a really big deal as you yeah. scale. Mm-hmm. So and OSHA, so we have a, a HIPAA and OSHA company that that's they do thousands of practices, and they're in my opinion really good, and they're featured in the book Harris Biomedical. I feature them quite a bit. I'm actually okay. on their board, so just full disclosure, I'm on their board. Good. But. They've been uh, one of the leaders in hypnosia for a long time. So we, we recommend them. They're in okay. the book. Got so it. we just bring in different you know people based on what, what they need. Okay. Um, uh,
0: do you mind uh, spelling that out for me? Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, medical?
1: Harris, yeah, H-A-R-R-I-S,
0: biomedical. Biomedical, okay.
1: Got yeah, it. they're a company, dental exclusively.
0: Got it. So so that is building. And, and how would that be a little different from building and building my own legacy? You know, uh, obviously, you've got to use the similar thing, similar idea. But how would somebody going into a separate track, as you said, building a legacy?
1: So one of the big differences between building to sell and building for legacy is is the speed at which you grow. So typically, if people want to sell it, there's an urgency to to do it sooner than later, because at some point, these high multiples that people are paying are, is going to come down. Um, there's a premium that's being paid for dental groups right now, and it's the multiples won't last. At some point, they will come down for quite sure. a bit. Yeah. And so if you're planning to sell, then obviously you want to sell in that window. So sooner the better. You need to get on it. Um, most of the people that we talk with in our space, the investment bankers and private equity guys that we work with, yeah. most people are kind of projecting about five more years in the dental space for these high multiples. And it'll probably start coming down around that time. But nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows. Sure. But if we look at what happened in the medical industry, went through a very same, very similar process. You know, Medical practices traded historically for about three times EBITDA. And then there was this rapid consolidation of medical. And then they were trading eight, nine, ten times EBITDA. For these groups and then within 12 months it crashed from nine back down to three and so and that took maybe 10 15 years something like that to accomplish that consolidation and dentistry is going pretty quick okay so we're you know five six seven years into this consolidation phase this more more rapid consolidation phase and we're about 22 to 24 percent consolidated now in the dental industry under groups and dso's Right. So at some point in the next, you know, five, six, seven years, we'll, we'll, we'll cross 50%, somewhere north of 50% saturation is when most people think these multiples will come crashing down. So this plays significantly into our strategy with our clients. If they want to sell, we're trying to get them to grow as quickly as we can reasonably and, and, and effectively, but keeping that timeline and, Hey, we would like to sell within five years if you want to take advantage of this. So it's a very different strategy than if you're thinking legacy well, then we build it on cash flow. We we we're smart. We we make sure we've got everything dialed in on this location before we go do the next one. It's a it's a riskier move to build it fast, no question about it.
0: Got it. So you're saying uh, this uh, this jump which is going on, this consolidation going on, maybe we'll go for Mac five to seven more years maximum.
1: Well, With no, so your consolidation experience. is going to be going on for a long time, but the these premium multiples that are being paid, right. Right, 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 that's right. going to probably come down in 5 to 7 years. That's what most people are saying. Got it. So, but consolidation will continue to happen well after that. It'll just probably slow down. Now,
0: geographically, where do you where do you where do you get more uh, number of DSO requests to make make more DSOs? Which state are they coming from?
1: Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. I'm sure Um, the whole country is uh, consolidating, but... um, There are more DSOs in the Midwest and the East Coast than there are on the West Coast in general. Of course, the population is greater on the East Coast as well, so it's not terribly surprising. Right. Uh, The Northwest actually does not have a lot of DSO activity, although it's starting to pick up a little bit. Um, California has a ton. You know, the West Coast is not super busy. Like the East Coast, there's an enormous amount of DSO action on the East Coast. Um and and then the Midwest, you know, Heartlands in the Midwest. A lot of these big guys, like Pacific Dental Services, is based out of California, but a lot of the big guys are based in other parts of the country. So yeah, Arizona. Um, and, it's yeah. it's everywhere. It is all fifty states pretty much. I mean, there's a couple states that are pretty DSO um, antagonistic when it comes to laws. North Carolina being one. There's a couple others that are not the greatest <laughs> for DSO friendliness. Okay, but that's changing. Because um, in the past, you know, DSOs was a dirty word. It was a four-letter word to a lot of doctors. And <laughs> and because, you know, in the past, DSOs would try to, you know, tell doctors what to do clinically, which is against the law. You can't do that. And yeah. so there's a lot of shenanigans that were happening in the past. And nowadays, DSOs don't operate that way. There's very few DSOs that would even think about doing that anymore. Um, it's it's really much a much better um, business model now. Okay, and I think that's why it's growing so fast. They've worked out the kinks. So they've got it to where it's good for the doctors, it's good for the patients. Uh, I think we should all be
0: uh, in Midwest,
1: at least, right, for the DSO
0: to be more successful, right? <laughs> um, yeah, anywhere.
1: I mean, you can build them anywhere. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: why don't people uh, get to know about you, uh, about your book? Uh, you wrote a book recently, which was uh, launched on 5th of November, uh, 2019. Yeah. And it's, it's called it's Mastering Practice Growth. The definitive guide to growing your dental practice or dental group. Now, uh, in 30 seconds, mm-hmm. who is this book for? How can they take advantage of the book?
1: So, the book was written specifically for dentists and potentially their staffs, so maybe an office manager or a marketing manager. Um, it's really focused on things that they need to do tactically to grow their practice. Um, And there are a lot of resources in the book to, to help them do that. People they can hire, services they can use, as well as a lot of tactical information. Like how do you actually do good SEO? How do you track your, your results? Like there's a lot of really tactical, just common, uh, you know, useful information in there. It's not a bunch of theory. It's very much a resource book. It's a practitioner book for how to do it.
0: Interesting. I think uh, I was um, talking to you about your book and uh, you have at least six to seven Components of the book, uh, you know, people mm-hmm. have operation, operational component, marketing component, you know, direct to consumers, you know, teaching and KPIs, uh, how to grow a DSO. We've already touched a couple of them or many of them mm-hmm. here. Uh, yeah. Implant or procedure-based uh, uh, procedures, uh, marketing, what I mean, and companies that work uh, the best uh, for, for everybody to grow. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about operational? Uh, I think we've touched everything else a little sure. bit, but uh, yeah. operational management, practice management, uh, uh, please, if you could, uh, how do you think this book can help somebody for operational aspect of it?
1: Yeah. So the the first section of the book is, is operational on purpose because, and I have a little sub headline in the first chapter says, you cannot scale chaos. <laughs> and so... If if you don't have your operations dialed in, you should not be thinking about spending a bunch of money on marketing. You definitely shouldn't be thinking about adding locations. So really, it's, it's first about, about getting your operations in order. And one of the things, you know, when we talk about growth, I, I talk in the book about there's three steps to generating a new patient. Mm-hmm. You know, there is there's generating the lead, which is step one. There's converting the lead into an appointment, which is step two. And then there is converting the appointment into sole dentistry or case acceptance, which is step three. Yeah. And so marketing uh, really speaks to step one, steps two and three really are about operations. Yeah. And so this is why it's important to have, you know, really solid processes in place for, you know, and most practices know, do a morning huddle, review your plan for the day, fill the schedule. Like a lot of the stuff is a rocket science, but it's, it's an amazing how much variation I see across the country. I've probably been in well, certainly hundreds of practices, maybe, maybe even a thousand practices in my career. Right. I've uh, been in a lot of practices. And so I see a huge variation in terms of how they operate um, and, and what they do. So, you know, all the, all these little things matter. So when you walk into the waiting room, is it poorly lit and dirty? Is it is it clean and bright and vibrant? Okay. Um, how are you greeted? Do they greet you by name? Or do they ask you, what's your name? What time's your appointment? It's, oh, <laughs> you must be Ian. It's so great to see you, you know? It's little things like that, you know? How do right. you present the treatment? Is it educational? Is it really with, honestly, their best interest at heart? Or are you trying to sell them dentistry? You know, there's a million things in there. And honestly, the the one of the biggest kind of secret sauces to growth, whether it's one practice or multiple, is culture. And so a lot of the first section of the book focuses on culture and getting that culture right. So it's being clear on your mission, vision, and values. Um, Having your team bought into that and having the, the team share in the success. So you define here's what success looks like for us. And here's what it's going to mean when we when we get there or, or as we achieve milestones along the way. So being generous, you know, sharing with your team, uh, but giving them that feedback is people need to know and they want to know if they're doing a good idea, a good job. I mean, so what is, you know, every every single person in the practice should have three to five key performance indicators that are their metrics and their goals. So your your assistant, your front office person, your hygienist, your doctor's associates, whoever, everybody should have three to five KPIs that make sense that are all geared towards um, what success in the practice looks like. So if it's you know patient retention, if it's revenue growth, if it's you know holes in the schedule, I mean there's a lot of things you can look at to determine is somebody doing a good job or not. Um, I tend to look at you know you can do, you can do patient satisfaction surveys, which I think is can be pretty telling. And so, and obviously retention is a big thing because marketing is great, but if they don't come back, you're, you're spinning your wheels and going nowhere. So that's why, again, I say you got to get that culture right. You got to get your staff bought in and invest in staff training is a huge piece of that. You know, a lot of times, um, doctors don't, in my opinion, invest enough in staff and training the hygienist, training the person answering the phone. My gosh, that's one of the most important jobs. And it's typically one of the lowest paid people in the office, but that's the gatekeeper for your practice. I mean, if they do a great job, you could have a full schedule. If they do a lousy job, you could be really hurting for money. And so doctors, I think, a lot of times look at that person answering the phone as, oh, they're kind of a, on the lower end of the totem pole. And maybe they are pay-wise, but man, they need to be treated very importantly and trained because that's one of those kind of make or break positions in a practice. You know, hygienist being good, friendly bedside manner, all that, and, and, and you know, recalling for your hygiene appointments, that's, that's super important, obviously, because that's the kind of the bread and butter that, that feeds the business. Um, there's just a lot of those kind of operational metrics that are really important. But if I had to boil it down to one thing, I would say the thing that's most important is culture.
0: Okay, got it. Um, so uh, you also touched about staff training. Um, how I think I have this question asked to pretty much everybody, and I'm going to ask you too, <clears throat> because I don't get bored with this question. <laughs> <laughs> how do you train staff? I mean, uh, there is only so much time the dentist uh, has to go ahead and keep training it Uh, that's one Uh, so once you train the other problem comes in how do you retain the same staff right Uh, Right. so that's another uh, another problem i believe everybody every new dentist or new office or new DSO faces very very regularly Uh, what are your thoughts on that for the staff training and retaining
1: So I I think when it comes to training, you know, it's important to, to bring in people who understand, and there's all kinds of trainers. I mean, there's tons and tons of consultants in this industry, hygiene consultants, you know, clinical consultants, practice management consultants, and there's lots of good ones out there. Um, but I think if you can find somebody who's, who's good reputable, ask around for referrals, I I have plenty of references. I can provide people if they want, if they want my opinion, but, um, once you provide that training, then I think it's important to, again, define those three to five key performance metrics. Like these are the, how we're going to kind of, quote unquote, measure your job performance. Okay. And then you got to review that with them on a regular basis. And they've got to have access to that information, which is nice about like a practice analytics or or these types of softwares. Everybody can get a login. Everybody can view their metrics. Um, if you're doing a morning huddle, you know, you can do that maybe every Monday or every Friday or whatever, once a week, maybe even once a day. You, you review kind of people's KPIs depending on what it is and then you got to hold them accountable. And so, Hey Sally, it looks like we're not, you're not quite, you know, hitting our our hygiene retention rate here, recall rate. Um, you know, what is preventing you, you think from achieving that, you know, and asking them, is it training? Is it whatever? And just you've, the doctor as as the CEO of the business has to be, you know, willing and able to hold people accountable. Now if the office manager is kind of doing that type of work, then the doctor's got to hold the office manager accountable. But there's got to be accountability. And this is the problem that I think a lot of doctors are not confrontational. Not that you need to be confrontational, but you need to be firm enough that you can manage people to expectations and say, hey, we've all agreed for our practice to be successful. We have to achieve, you know, X, Y and Z, th- these metrics, whatever we've laid out. And then review it with them on a monthly basis or, or more often and ask them if, if they're falling short. What, what, what can we do to help? How can we get you there, Sally. And if they're, su- if they're succeeding and exceeding goal, reward them, celebrate, take everybody out for dinner, give them a financial bonus, you know, whatever it is. And when you can align incentives and behavior, that's when you get really, really good performance in high-performing teams. And there's a million books on high-performing teams and building a culture. I mean, there's, you know, all you got to do is go on Amazon and you can find 50 recommendations. But And a lot of them say the same types of things that I'm I'm, I'm explaining right now. Um, but that's really, I think, it's it it's comes down to basics, you know, blocking and tackling. You've got to be able to Define what winning looks like for your for your business, Okay. give people the tools they need to be successful and then hold them accountable at a high level that that's how you run a business. And so for a practice, obviously, we can get more specific. But if you can, if you can align the incentives and give them f- constant feedback on how they're doing, um, that's ultimately how you can build high performance teams. And once you kind of get that operations dialed in, then you can be then you can scale it successfully and you can market effectively. But until you kind of have at least a, a solid culture. And solid operations, marketing is risky business. Uh,
0: any uh, any tips or comments on uh, retaining the employees? So you train them, all's going good. And yeah. any tips on like uh, uh, one of my hygienists? She said, "You know what, Dr. right. I don't want to leave you here. I, I would never like to leave this place. You know, if I, if you're leaving, I'm leaving, right? Right. <laughs> you know, right. she wants to follow me. So I, I took it as a compliment. Uh, so she she likes to stay. She wants to stay. Yep. And, you know, But my question is, how could I or you, uh, you know, retain uh, retain the good quality staff?
1: Yeah. So so this is another kind of general truism in business. People don't leave businesses. They leave managers. Hmm. So if you're not happy with your supervisor, you're much, much more likely to leave. Okay. So it comes right back to culture. So. We've got to have people in leadership positions, the doctor, obviously, and then if there's, you know, an office manager or other people of supervisory roles, you know, they've got to have the, mm-hmm. the, the people skills, I think, to develop rapport and and, and enforce the positive culture. People will stay, they'll, they'll, they'll you know, hygienists will be willing to make a couple bucks less an hour if they're really happy with the environment. They really like the doctor. They like the, the, the positive work environment. People don't need maximum dollar to stay. That's kind of a misnomer. A lot of people think, oh, I got to pay top dollar to keep my people. You really don't. You know, pay, pay them well, pay them fairly, but focus on culture. Focus on, on having fun. You know, at WIO Media, you know, marketing, is unfortunately for me, is not a high margin business. You know, I wish it was. I wish I was like Microsoft or Google, but we're not. <laughs> we're a low margin business. And so as a consequence, we can't afford to pay ourselves, at Wea, our, our, our staff at WIO Media, as much as we'd like to, you know, okay. we pay the market rates. Um, but they, they are, our, our staff retention rate is extremely high because our culture is, is amazing. Um, we put everything back into the company. So we moved into a, a really big, fancy, nice office last year. Uh, mm-hmm. we stock the kitchen all the time with tons of food every, every month we have birthday parties. So everybody who's got a birthday that month, we do big birthday celebrations. Ooh. There's after hours, you know, game nights, they go to the happy hours at pubs um we do we have massage so we have a masseuse who comes in every week once every thursday is massage day and so everybody in the office can sign up for 15 minute chair massages and we pay for all of that we have benefits retirement programs bonuses i mean we we are putting as much money back into the staff as we possibly can because we know that's our secret weapon our okay. team culture and so people could they leave we and make more money down the street yeah probably but they don't because they really love working there. And oh. so it's the same in any business, whether you're a dental practice or a marketing agency or, or a DSO or anything. Uh, it's about culture. And that's why, incidentally, I wanted to leave high tech as the culture. was terrible. Yeah. You know? I was willing to leave a six-figure job to go take a high-risk situation because I was so unhappy with, with my environment. I was like, this is just toxic. I, I can't do this for another 20 or 30 years. I'd rather make less money and be my own boss. And as it turned out, I make way more money now, so it's it's all good. But it was not that way for, for years. For years, well, I was you know top ramen and mac and cheese. You know, it's it's not an easy go. I think um, but,
0: uh, I think that yeah, is a, that is uh, a staple food for all the entrepreneurs. You know, top ramen and mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a while, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, got it. So basically, uh, we need to keep them happy, not only in terms of money you know, which should be fair amount, but, uh, you know, flexibility, you know, making them feel important. Uh, You know, there's a, there should be a human connection, you know, enjoying parties and whatnot.
1: Yeah. I I mean, ask them. So we do this, we do twice a year at WIO Media. We do do an, uh, an employee survey. It's anonymous blind survey. So we don't know who says what. Okay. And we ask them all kinds of questions. You know, what do you like? What do you not like? What do you wish we did? What benefits would you like us to add? And of course, we can't make everybody happy and do everything everybody wants. Sure. But we take a pulse. And then, you know, like for us, one of the biggest things that people love is we let them work from home three days a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, everybody works from home. There's almost cool. nobody in the office. It's a ghost town Monday, Wednesday, Friday.
0: I should right? work with you. I should work with you. You know, what? Now in
1: dentistry, I understand you <laughs> can't do that, right? People have to be there physically. So that's <laughs> not an option for a dentist. Right. But again, <laughs> it's, it's surveying your, your team and what's important to them. What would they really love it if you could offer them, if you could do. And it doesn't have to man, that doesn't cost us any money. It actually probably improves our productivity because they're not stuck in traffic. Because we live in Portland, Oregon. Traffic sucks, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not like Los Angeles or New York City. I mean Chicago. I mean, there's bigger cities that have worse traffic. I get it, Bay Area, you know. But it's if, if you gotta drive an hour or more to get to your job, that's not fun.
0: That right? is not fun. I don't fun care where
1: not. you live. If you're in traffic more than 30 minutes getting to work, that's just not a fun thing. And so we can save them literally hours and hours a week um, by working from home. They love that. It's one of the most popular benefits we have, and it costs us nothing. Right. You know? As long getting, as they
0: get the work done, you know, as long as they get the work done, you know, what's we have the management
1: processes in place to allow for a remote workforce. And they do come in Thursday, Tuesdays and Thursdays for meetings and stuff like that. But right. they love it. And so... That's, that's how you can build a strong culture operation. That's how you can retain your people, find out what they want, and try to give as much as you can afford to give. That's well, really I think, what it comes down to.
0: I think you remind me of an essay which uh, Jason Fried, I don't know if you know him, uh, mm-hmm. he wrote uh, uh, an essay, uh, and I think he owns uh, a software called Basecamp. Uh, oh, yeah,
1: Basecamp. Yeah, we use Basecamp. Yeah, we yeah. Use yeah it's I good. was going to
0: say. So he's a, uh, I think he's the one who started Basecamp. So Jason Fried, if I remember his name and uh, correctly, but he said he started with, you know, just giving more liberties to his his staff, uh, yeah. his employees. Yeah. And I said, we'll see where it goes. We'll see how it goes, yeah. right? And then uh, nobody took advantage of it. You know, they were all, you know, to the mark, they're working out, uh, you know, doing the work in the sixth, you know, uh, the way it should be done. And mm-hmm. I was impressed. I mean, I was impressed. and. This is an old essay I'm talking about. Maybe I'll, I'll search it and, yeah. uh, you know, put it on uh, for everybody to read about it. But I love Jason Fritz and his essays and his books and whatnot. Uh, really, really it's, great guy.
1: It's like a Zappos. Have you read the book by the guy who yes. started Zappos, right? Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, beautiful. I think I had the Audible for that. I yeah. loved it. I just like I, uh, I got emotional. It had this friendly moments when
1: yeah <laughs> you know when he, he's a rock star man i just i love people that think outside the box and build amazing cultures it's just so cool to read about delivering so, happiness yeah, delivering, yeah happiness. delivering happiness that's a uh, great beautiful
0: book. beautiful book so uh great um i think we'll get back to books in a minute uh but uh, before we wrap up about your book uh lou sherman uh, wrote the forward yep. uh, for the book yeah he he's such a big guy to track uh, you know, but how do you know him, and how did you convince him to write something for you? <laughs> I want to learn yeah. that from you, right?
1: <laughs> I've, I've been uh, I've been friends with Lou for, for quite a quite a number of years. Um, he has consulted for Weo Media as an executive consultant. He's been an advisor for us. And this is another tip for entrepreneurs: is you know, find people who have a lot of knowledge they can share with you, and, and find mentors. You know, good mentors and that's one of the reasons I've been successful in my career is I've, I've found good mentors and I've, I've, I've constantly like you, I'm curious. I ask a lot of questions, <laughs> you know, and, and lose one of those people that I've just got to know, developed a nice relationship with him over the years. And, and he actually asked me, he's like, Hey, I, I need to write the forward to your book, you know? Um, so, and I was like, yeah, I would be honored, you know, cause he's, he's a, he's a Titan in the industry. He's a big guy, you know? So, um, yeah, so he's a great, great, great guy. He's I, I considered a very good friend and um, I'm very lucky that he wrote that forward. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for
0: opening that up. Uh, you know, uh, people don't share uh, what you're sharing right now. Uh, <clears throat> now, talking about mentors, I hear this all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, tell me, you know, how could you, uh, you know, reach out to the mentors? How could you uh, find someone who could teach you uh, to be at the next level, uh, what is your process? Did you plainly get lucky, or
1: or did you have a you know, way to? You know what I find with 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 mentors is if this is going to sound corny, but just just ask. You know, a, a lot of times people are afraid to approach. You know, people that they kind of look up to or that have a lot of influence, whoever. And yeah, you may not get through to them; they may say no. But if you ask, you know, I mean, I've I've had a lot of people over the years ask me, you know, for advice and, and mentorship. There's a few people not in the dental industry, um, just, you know, younger people who heard about sure. me and, sure, and, um, that I, that I just mentor for free on the side and they'll call me up every few months and say, Hey, I got a question. They're building their businesses and yeah. I love it. And I, I'm super busy. I work a ton <laughs> of hours and it would be very easy for me to say, I don't have time for that. Yeah. But I look at it as like, hey, man, I'm giving back. You know, I, I love what I do. I love that I've been fortunate to be successful. And so um, when 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 people ask my advice, I love to share it. And I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah. You know, Lou Schumann, again, he's an extremely busy man. Yeah. Um, he has a ton of knowledge. Yeah. But, you know, I was I was fortunate to develop a relationship with him. And he's been a great friend. And, uh, you know, and I've mentored him on, on a lot of areas, too. You know, we actually mentor each other in different things. So yeah. it's it's been a good relationship. But I think, honestly, it's just... Ask, you know, find somebody you think you resonate with, and just ask. Great, you know, yeah. you need a ton of mentors, a couple, a couple good ones, and you're you're in good shape. You know, you're in good shape. Yep, right. Yeah, I think uh, as long
0: as um, as long as we give it a try, what the worst could happen, right? They, they yeah. are not not gonna reply, or they're gonna say no. Either way, right. I think um, you got that well, answer. Like,
1: you know, it's like asking out your significant other. I mean, I you know, uh, my wife and I, you know, people always ask, "How did you meet?" <laughs> the, the true the true story is. I had seen her in the gym for years and Ooh. thought, wow, that's a really attractive woman. Yeah, and I think one day I just got the 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 you know gumption yeah. to I want to go ask her. I just <laughs> old turkey just went up and started talking to her and found some things we had in common and asked her out for coffee and you know now we're married and have kids and all that. But if I didn't take a shot, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have my wife and my kids. You know, or maybe I have a different outcome. But sure, you, you just have to you have to ask. You have to be willing to take a risk. And she could have easily shot me down said, no, I'm not interested, buddy. Maybe you would have been dating somebody. And I, you know, hey, I got lucky, right? But uh, you just got to ask sometimes and just, you know, you never know where where things will go.
0: Well, that's another reason we all should go to the gym now. (laughs) For me, I can't say that, you know,
1: I'm a matchmaker, but it worked for me.
0: It worked for you. All right. um, uh, Any other advice for people who are looking for uh, a mentorship, uh, you know, Uh, and, and, What questions should they ask themselves? What kind of mentor I should be looking for? See, I could be looking at right now, me being a dentist. um, I could be looking at a mentor in, uh, uh, you know, in clinical dentistry. You know, who could teach me a little more complicated implants, for example. Yeah. Uh, Or I could go into the business aspect. Uh, I can talk to you, for example, or uh, Lou or uh, Jeremy Dixon. You know, uh, I can go in ten different directions,
1: but. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it's important to, if you're approaching somebody to, to be a mentor, is, is keep your ask small. You know, hey, can I just have 15 minutes of your time every once in a while? And what what's going to happen is they'll give you 45 minutes, you know? Yeah. Uh, they'll give you an hour and a half, right? So keep your ask small because, you know, if you're asking somebody who's really busy, they don't have hours to chat on the phone. You know, they're, they're, they just can't answer the phone anytime you call. But keep your ask, hey, can I just... Get 15 minutes of your time. Every once in a while, I'll just ask you some questions. And they'll generally say, yes, at least that's been my experience. Um, to keep your ask small and just and just kind of enter it with the humility. Don't kiss their butt and, you know, butter <laughs> them up or anything. Just say, hey, I really respect what you've done. Uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed by your career. You know, whatever you want to say that's true. Um, mm-hmm. And say, I would love to be able to just pick your brain and learn from you every once in a while. Could I just maybe have 15 minutes of your time? And just keep it really small ask. And I think you're more likely to get yeah, yeah, we could talk sometime, right? Okay. Um, and if you hit it off and there's a rapport, they're likely to talk to you more often and, and longer. So, Yeah. Yeah, that'd be my two cents anyway.
0: <laughs> no, no. Uh, every, uh, that's the reason we are talking to you because you've been successful in your own ways. Uh, uh, so many people are just following you, reaching reaching out to you to be a mentor. Uh, there is a reason, you know. Uh, so uh, every cent count, by the way. Um uh, <laughs> Two more questions regarding your book. Um, What is the topic that you're most proud of in the book among Mm. all the six or seven topics, uh, which you've done?
1: Oh, that's a, that's an interesting question. I I don't know. Um, I mean, mean, each section, each section kind of stands alone as, as a, I think a useful chunk of information. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good question. I don't know that the one stands out more. I mean, I know the most about the marketing section, so um, mm-hmm. that that makes sense. That I, I probably would say that. But you know, I, I I interviewed people for the book, like in the DSO section. I quote Jeremy Dixon yeah. in the DSO section of the book. He knows a lot more about that than I do, and I've, he's mentored me in the DSO world. Sure. Um, I spoke with consultants at Fortune Management for the operations because they're much better at practice consulting than I am. I'm not a practice consultant. I've learned a lot. I know a lot, but I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm not nearly as good as a good practice consultant, so you know I, I learned a lot from the people, and I think part of the cool part of ra- reading or writing the book was um, just the learning process. I think you know it's it's like when you do when you write something down, it forces you to clarify and really get your thoughts down and clear. Right. And, right. So I don't know if there's a section that stands out, but I I just I, I think I'm I'm happy with the final product. But I you know as soon as I publish it, I'm like, man, I thought of six other things I wish I would have put <laughs> in the book. So. What I'm planning to do now is is I think every summer I'm going to come out with an updated edition of the book before the ADA and then kind of launch it at the ADA every year. Good. Because um, I've already got a list of seven things I want to add to the book, uh, and it's only been out for a month. <laughs> so I believe you. I believe you.
0: Yeah. Um, um, what is the uh, next question is, what is most underestimated question in the sense what people don't ask you when – about which you already know a lot, but they don't mm-hmm. even ask you?
1: Um, I think, you know, and some people do ask this sometimes, but it's, it's and it's a wise question to always ask people. It's like, you know, you ask them, it's like, what questions should I be asking? Because, you know, like, sometimes yeah, people yeah, yeah, will yeah. asking us that at are like, okay, how much are your websites? And how about this and that? And like, what questions should I be asking you? And I always think that's a really smart thing to say and ask. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can, say, well here, here's some things you, you didn't ask that you probably ought to know and so to me that's probably a, a good question to ask people
0: okay um,
1: is you know what question should I be asking you yeah. <laughs> let them let them fill in the gaps
0: right right it's like uh, so, just an open-ended question for an open-ended question
1: yeah I think so I mean that's I, I, to me I think that's a that's a good one if I'm talking to somebody who knows a lot more than I do right I might ask him what I think I want to know but I can ask him that and then they're now they've got carte blanche to tell me whatever they want to teach me, you know?
0: Sure. Great. Uh, I have some questions which are, I'll call them Tim Ferriss inspired questions. Okay. Uh, uh, when you get up first in the morning, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What are your morning ritual and best practices?
1: Um, well, if I'm home, I travel about half the time or more, but when I'm home, uh, I come down and uh, I always uh, kind of see my kids and my wife and kind of start the day out with, with, talking to them and give them a little kiss. And that always gets the day started right for me. So um, that's certainly one of the little rituals I have every morning that I try to stick to.
0: Great. Um, uh, any any specific habits like, oh, I like to drink that particular kind of coffee or uh, go to the gym or meditate, anything on those lines?
1: Um, yeah, I, I'm a distance runner. So I like to run a couple, two, three times a week. I lift weights a couple, two, three times a week. So I like to stay fit because I find being physically fit um, really helps your mental stamina and your, and your just, just your mental health in general. Right. Um, to work, you know, the hours and travel and to keep the schedule. I keep, I, I find it's much, much easier to deal with if I, if I remain healthy and fit. So definitely I think building a fitness routine um, and just trying to be healthy. You know, I, I lost 25 pounds last year just by watching what I eat, just eating less. I was not overweight, but I wanted to get more fit and trim. And so I think those those types of things have really helped me.
0: Okay, great. The best purchase that you made between hundred to three hundred dollars that impacted your life in a positive way.
1: Hmm. Well, recently I would say my my Bose noise canceling headphones. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little over three hundred, but uh, I fly a lot, and it's man, it's nice to have that noise canceling headphone when you're on an airplane. <laughs>
0: sure, all this helps. All this help. Talking about books, we've been we've been talking about your book, but apart from your book, uh, what other books that you've read that has inspired you the most, that you love the most?
1: Um, you know, some of the books that probably impacted me the most are books I read a while ago when I was okay. getting started as an entrepreneur. Um, and some of these are classics. Probably everybody's heard a lot of these, but um, mm-hmm. The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Yes. Yes. Uh, if people want to be an entrepreneur, that is absolutely must reading. You've got to read that book if you want to be an entrepreneur or even run a dental practice for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a fantastic book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Um, I, I, I was uh, really impressed with uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win in Friends and Influence People. Yes. That's just a seminal book on human relations that I think people just need to read. I read it in my early 20s and it was really an eye opener for me. Um not that, I, and I never had a problem really getting along with people, but it was just an eye opener for me about the in, how intentional you can be and strategic you can be about in, in, interacting with people and and doing it and not to manipulate, but to be uh, aware of how you're you're treating people and aware of your intentions and and those types of things and really, to me this might sound weird, but I think that book helped make me be a, a better person <laughs> because I, I was more aware of how I'm treating people and how I'm thinking about people. And am I trying to manipulate the situation to get what I want? Or yeah. am I really just interested in this person? You know? Right. Right. Uh, so that was good. And then, and then I would say more recently, there's a lot of books. I mean, I probably read over a hundred of those types of books in my twenties, sure. early thirties. Um, most recently, our whole company at we media, we're going through the books from the Arbinger Institute. So um, leadership and Self-Deception. I've actually got them right here. Um, Anatomy of Peace is another one. And um, The uh, out, Outward Mindset. So those three by um, Arbinger Institute are are really, uh, really amazing books. So it's they're really powerful books in terms of how you look at people—it's—it's it's kind of what I was just saying about Dale Carnegie's book. But this is a very, very different type of book. It's—it's um, mm-hmm. it's told in a more of a story format. Okay. Yeah. Um, really easy reading, but super insightful. And you're just like, wow! It's just a lot of light bulb moments go on. You're like, whoa! Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's pretty enlightening stuff.
0: How do you uh, come to the book? Because I try to, you know, uh, tell my staff, you know what? Uh, why don't you go and read this book? It might open your mind to blah 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 you know, mm-hmm. whatever the book w- was about, because, you know, I try to talk to my staff and figure out what's going on, you know, if I can help them in, you know, uh, in, in some ways, if, if I could. Uh, and then uh, once in a while, I've referred them books, you know, and even offered them my own Audible account, go and use it, you know, you don't even have to buy it. Uh, but they don't do it. Now, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. how are you going, to, how are you able to implement among 50 employees at Vo Media? You know, to read these three books or whatever.
1: Yeah, no. It's, what's been interesting is um, so we we uh, I don't know, a year, two years ago, maybe, maybe it was last year, I think we had a, a leadership consultant come in and kind of do a full day seminar workshop for everybody, and I thought it was pretty good. And the the a lot of our work first is are in the millennial age group, and they hated it, just hated it. And I was like, <laughs> wow, interesting, because you know I'm I'm 47, and so I was like to me, it was like kind of corporate, you know, structure. I was like, I was used to that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our staff, you know, they're younger, they've never worked in a big corporate environment and they're just like, Oh my God, don't ever have that guy back. Uh I'm like, really? I thought it was pretty good. And so (laughs) it just showed like how far off I was from where they were coming from. Right. And so, um, so our, our leadership team, uh, we media, we've got a, a leadership team with our, with our managers and, a lot of them are um, you know probably like mid to late 30s early 40s, so a little bit older than the millennial folks but a little younger than maybe the ownership team right and they had a better pulse on it and they said look you know because we all the leadership team read um, these Arbinger books and we're like this is amazing stuff and in fact our director of business development at WIO he is a certified trainer and consultant for Arbinger he's been to their through their training and he's a, a trained facilitator Okay. And so he's really knowledgeable on this stuff and, and really a great guy. And so they were saying, hey, look, if, if, if you want the staff to read this, you can't make them read it. Right. And okay. so what we, what we said was, hey, everybody, you know, um, the leadership team, we've been reading these books. We, 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 they're really helping us. Uh, we're just going to leave them. We, we left like 15 copies just sitting around the office. If anybody wants to grab a book, you know, feel free, but you don't have to read it. It's just, we, we find it kind of interesting, right? So we'd really soft sold it real. And, and, and we really didn't know if anybody would read it or not. And then, you know, a few people picked it up and said, wow, this is, this is pretty good. And they started talking and then a few more people picked it up and a few more. And over the course of six months, most of the staff read the book. And so, um, so that, that worked for us. Um, and again, I think everybody's workforce is different, but for us, is you know, a lot of the younger, younger folks, they, very different than my generation in terms of how they think and approach things. And so not right or wrong, just different. Yeah. And so uh, for us, it was more, um, hey, this is an option. This is cool. You might want to check it out. But if you don't, no big deal. And just no pressure. And that's, that seemed to like, okay, well, maybe we'll take a look at it, you know. And it's just, it's it's a different world, man. When I was in my 20s and in the corporate world, <laughs> we would have these these half-day, full-day training sessions and leadership and structures and processes and all this stuff. and Yeah. The IBM mentality, you know, the, yeah. the GE mentality, the corporate leadership model,
0: yeah, and man, that does not
1: work with millennials. <laughs> no,
0: not at all. Uh, all right. So, leadership and self-deception, anatomy of peace, uh, outward mindset. Uh, I'm particularly particularly interested in, uh, interested in anatomy of peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, could you give me like what the book is all about? I mean, seems interesting to me just because of the name.
1: Yeah, so so the the concept of the series of these books really is, um, it's 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 this idea of how you view people. Okay. So, um, it, the book talks about kind of being in the box and out of the box, and we're all, you know, basically as you, if you read the book, we're all in the box. Right. So, you look at people as as, um, it's kind of hard to man. I'm I'm not going to do this justice at all. The, the the author is so much better than I'm doing. Sure. But. Um, it's really how you view people in terms of women are, are or, or is just, is like, is it more of like an objective? Like you're trying to just get something done and, and it's, it's told in a, so it's not like a traditional, you know, leadership book or business book. It's told as a story. Okay. It's just a storybook, but. In the story, there's a person kind of teaching these other empl- these other employees about this process, but of course, it's really teaching the reader about the process. Right. And um, it's it's really, uh, at a, boiling it down, it's it's really about how you view and interact with people. Okay. And when you can genuinely be concerned about them as a person, it changes. It totally changes the dynamic. And so, um, I mean, at a, at a high level, I guess that's the best way I can explain it. It's. Um, no. Without going into all the details of how, what they talk about, it's hard to summarize it, but it's, no, no. it's, it's a, it's a, good, it's a there are good, good books.
0: Sure. No, uh, I, w- I was just curious, just for my personal sake, uh, because, uh, anatomy of peace sounds like a great name. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll go in and, uh, read about it. Um, uh, talking about that, um, when you think of a person being successful, mm-hmm. what is your definition of such a successful person?
1: Um, I, I think it really comes down to being true to to who you are, your beliefs, you know, um, whatever that may be. Everybody has you know their own beliefs, and and we all agree and disagree on certain areas. Um, I, I think you know, to me, if it's do, you know if if you're lucky enough to to have an occupation that you enjoy, you know, do that with passion. If if you're a stay at home mom, you know, that's that's fantastic. You know, do that with passion. Um I I think if you can if you can find out what really makes you tick, what really motivates you and inspires you, and if you if you can do that, to me that's success. Um, you know, if, if you're a nursing home uh, you know, nurse and and that's you love taking care of, of elderly people, sure and good at it, that's success for you, right? Right. Um you're a pastor at a church, you know, leading your congregation, that's success for you. I mean, everybody's different, kind of what their calling is and what they're what they're passionate about. I mean Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a, in terms of my faith, you know, I'm i I'm a Christian. And so Mm -hmm. for me, success is, is living my life in a way that, that would be consistent with, with what I believe. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's family or work or whatever, I, I I have to, to be true to myself, I have to follow what I, what my beliefs are, or I would feel, uh, really, you know, (laughs) really bad about myself and I would be really conflicted internally. And so um, I think it's just, you know, whatever your belief system is and just figuring out what's important to you and, and focusing on that. I think generally people are going to say, you know, family and friends and their religion and things like that. And right, right. those are all good things, right? Mm-hmm. So, I have another
0: question, which I uh, pretty much asked from all the you successful people out there. Uh, just to humanize, could you share one of the moments which wasn't very successful or was a bad sure. phase of your life? You know and how did you come out of it obviously
1: yeah yeah um well yeah when we when uh, Corey and i were doing our consulting business you know we had a number of clients and, and those were typically three to 12 month engagements and they were they were fun we learned a lot and then we had an opportunity to um become owners and run a, a gold mine in canada if you can believe that wow and so an actual gold mine and so, um, so we partnered up with these two guys one of them actually with the guy that we, who brought us into it was actually our tax attorney at the time. Hmm. And so it was a guy we knew and trusted in all that. And, um, so we got involved cause you know, he was an attorney, but he knew Corey and I were engineers and MBAs like, Hey, these guys could really, you know, add some value here. And so, so we got involved trying to run this thing. We, we went out and raised some money. We did, you know, we did our own due diligence on it and, um, so we were, we were raising money and we were getting ready to start operations. We bought equipment. We hired some miners. It was really a, a, quite a crazy adventure. I mean, I could write a book about that one <laughs> thing. It, it was really a nutty, nutty year. And towards the end of that time of that year that we worked on this project, I found that the, the guy who brought us in was taking money out of the company and shouldn't have been. And so I confronted him about it and I said, Hey, what are you doing? You can't do this. Um, we, you know, I didn't accuse him of stealing, but he was taking money out and using it for personal purposes and didn't tell me. So what do you call that? It kind of looks like stealing to me. Sure. And so, so I said, Hey, we need this cash for operations. You can't be using this to pay your personal bills. This is not right. And so he fired me and Corey fired us both. And, um, so then it, it got ugly with attorneys and, the threats and, it, and we, you know, people, we, we helped, we, we approached friends and family to, to put money in this thing. And this guy ran it in the ground and then he left the country. Ooh. And so it was, I think by far the most, um, grueling, frustrating, negative business environment or business situation I've ever been a part of uh, total failure um muddied our reputations at the time with people they they didn't fault us because hey you 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 didn't know the guy was a crook right it's like no he was our tax attorney we thought he was a good guy okay but turns out he was kind of a crook um so you know our reputation didn't take that bad of a hit, but it, it felt like you know we felt really horrible you know we lost some of our own money some of our friends and family lost their money and uh, it was it was a uh, you know, not a, not a great start to an entrepreneurial career. This is only three years into my, my entrepreneurship. yeah. And so we're sitting there broke, failed business, you know, attorney fees. It was, it was a nightmare. Um, and so, but how we came out of that was, you know, you, you just, I think one of the secrets of success is you just can't ever give up. You just refuse to give up. And so we just said, well, okay, let's go get some more clients. Let's 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 pivot, and, and so we went and got more clients. And then eventually, you know, we met Mark and started Wio. But um, but that was like 2007 or so when that that whole mining thing happened. Okay. And it was, you know, Corey. You know, if you if you bring this up to Corey, he'll probably you know get Tourette's and like kind of do shakes, and <laughs> you know, it was a very traumatic thing for both of us to go through, and we both uh, really. Hated the experience, to be honest with you, but it, it made us very much stronger uh, business people. But it was a horribly difficult time in our lives.
0: Got it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm sure uh, uh, this 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 kind of deal nobody shares. I mean, uh, it was a bad phase. But thank you. Thanks a lot for sharing.
1: Yeah. No, my pleasure.
0: Um, uh, maybe I'll talk to Corey in private about it. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, uh oh boy, it was quite an experience.
0: Right. Um, what is uh, one of the hardest decisions you had to make over the past year?
1: Hmm. Over the past year.
0: Or two or three.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually uh, more firing a client here and there. Um, yeah. You know, you get over 800 clients. You're going to have a few that are just, ridiculous, just to be honest with you. Um, and they, you know, they, they'll abuse your staff, they'll cuss at your staff. And as soon as that happens, like, hey, you're done. We don't tolerate that at all. You cannot treat our people. Like, okay, how much money you're paying us? You cannot talk to me or my staff like that. Sure. And Corey and me are the same way. Like we all, we all stick up for our, our, our people. And um, I mean, if you want to have a good culture and you don't have their back, you don't have a good culture. <laughs> so, um, so we've had to fire a couple clients here and there that just, hey, it's not a good fit. Let's just part ways. Good luck, you know, and, and don't put our staff through that kind of stuff. So those those are not fun decisions. They're not they're not hard decisions, but they're not fun decisions. Like if somebody's treating our staff that way, it's we know what we're going to do. Right. But That's it's still not a fun conversation. Personally, the divorce was was obviously pretty rough, <laughs> but that was so long ago; it, it's a distant memory, thankfully. But um,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: That was okay. probably sixteen years ago.
0: But it's all over. It's gone. Do you have any advice for younger Ian McNichol? Like
1: Lots. <laughs> All right. I'm writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, You know, I think a lot of the things um, I, I did, I'm glad I did, but there are definitely some things that um, I think in general, probably one of the biggest pieces of advice is stay focused. Um, as an entrepreneur, I, I'm, I have a knack for – spotting opportunities and identifying things in the market that I could go and, and, and build something around and, and offer or serve. Yeah. And so that's definitely, I think, one of, one of my kind of gifts is that ability to, to spot things and build a business around it. But the, it's also a curse because you can get a little bit of ADD and, you know, squirrel, what, what's that over there, that shiny thing over there? And so um, I think especially early on when it wasn't clear, you know how successful we was going to be, and we were all trying to figure out what did we do, this or that. Um, I think focus would be a big piece um, of advice. Just there are definitely some things I did in the past that did not help me in any way. <laughs> that were I learned some things, but um, it would have been better if I stayed focused. So that and the other big thing is is persevere and don't give up. and And I've done that. Um, I've I've been very stubborn and not not given up. On things, but um, I think for just young Ian or just young anybody, I think, you know, sure. be focused on what you're doing. Don't get too scattered in your in, your, in your, what you're trying to do. Just, you you can't do four things well, you got to do one thing really well. And then just don't give up, you know, um, keep going.
0: Now, um, <clears throat> how did you stay focused? Um, there is more to it uh, in this question. So I like this project, which I'm doing, project number one. I believe Mm -hmm. it's awesome. And you said we all have the ADD. Oh, I think I like this project too. Now, how would you choose between one, two, three, and X number of projects? You know, what is where you should put your energy in? You see, uh, for me, just because the grass is always greener on the other side, I might be looking at the 10th project, which might be like, maybe is not as good at all in reality. But how did you stay focused on the project?
1: Yeah. Um, so when it comes to, I think figuring out what you want to put your time into, I mean, looking back now, um, sure. one of the pieces I get, one of the pieces of advice I give younger entrepreneurs is, or any entrepreneur really who's, who's wanting to grow something is I'll tell them, you know, for me, there's three ingredients you need to have in order to build a business. There needs to be a demand in the marketplace There needs, you need to be able to effectively serve that demand and you've got to be able to make money in doing so. And I'll Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. So I use this analogy a lot when I'm, when I'm talking to entrepreneurs. Sure. I'll say, okay, let's say I'm going to start a car company and, and I'm a good, I'm a good engineer and I can go and build a nice car and I'm going to sell these cars for $5,000. Now, is there a market for a $5,000 car? Oh yeah. Huge market, right? Billions. Um, Am I good at making cars? Well, me personally, not really, but just as an example, let's say I was, and then can I make any money at it though? Well, no, you can't make money building $5,000 cars. (laughs) Otherwise people would be doing it. Sure. So you you just can't do that. Right. And so one of the people I advised one time, you know, she was trying to start um, this, this kind of a edge like a continuing education company and she was, you know, good at what she did, and there was a, a bit of a market there. And I said, "Well, what's your revenue model? How are you going to make money?" She said, "Well, people would only pay this much money for attending an event." I said, "Well, how else can you make money?" So we kind of worked through some permutations, and she kind of came to the conclusion that I'm never going to make any money at this. It's like, yeah, that's that's exactly. And I knew that, but I was trying to lead her through the question so she could figure it out for herself. Right. And this is not a this is not a viable business. This is not something you want to quit your day job and go do and so um, so to me i think you've got to look at and say ask yourself you know am i good at this am i passionate about it can i make money at it is there a demand for it and if you can check all those boxes then potentially that's something you should put your time into so that's the first kind of filter i would look at in mm-hmm. terms of do i do project 1 or 2 or 3 is i'd kind of run those 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 thoughts through it and then you know for me i also would would look at how far along am I on my other things? Like if I was going to go, you know, like with, with, well, I'll give you an example, like with DSO project, right? I mean, I've got WIO media, it's going well, it's, it's going great actually. Um, and then Jeremy approaches me and says, Hey, let's go do this other project. And so I could look at that and say, okay, well I, I need to stay focused on WIO media, which is, would have been an absolutely valid response. Or I could say, well, WIO is is really running very solid without me needing to be there hundred percent of the time. Now we've got, a strong, a strong management team, experienced staff. If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, we would be fine. You know, it maybe wouldn't grow quite as fast, but it, it'd be fine. Sure. Um, so the DSO project is like, okay, well, this is a whole new thing I can learn about, which really interests me. And it's, it's going to still benefit my primary business. So it made a lot of sense. Now, if Jeremy would have come to me and wanted to start a company that had nothing at all to do with dentistry, I would have said, "No, nah, that doesn't make sense. Right. But it was something that's complementary to my primary business. Okay. And something that I can learn and something that actually benefits my primary business. It could, it could make sense. So for me, I just kind of went through that process of, you know, does this make sense? Am I good at it? Can I make money at it? Is it interesting? All that kind of thing. And, sure. um, kind of made that decision. So, but I think when you're starting out from scratch, uh-huh. It's it's more about your passion. Like, I think if you're coming coming at it from like, okay, you're starting with, with uh, as, a, as a ground zero entrepreneur, you really got to do something that you're passionate about and that, you know, that there's a demand for that you can make money, like those three things. I think, yes, you got to be good at it, but really more than that, you got to be passionate about it, you know, because if you're good at something, but you have no passion, you're not going to give, you're not going to persevere. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to give it your all. Sure. You know, okay. I mean, people talk about, you know, oh, you can be an entrepreneur and be balanced. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> I've never met an entrepreneur who worked 40 hours a week and had a great family life. It just doesn't happen. I work 80 hours a week. I travel all the time. I have a good family life because I work from home. And I'm not saying it's a path for everyone. I say it's a path for probably not many people should take the path I took. But to, it's, it, it would be a fraud for me to sit here and say, oh, I, I built these companies and I have a really balanced life. I don't have a balanced life. My life's crazy. But it's the choices I made. So I'm, I'm OK with them. Would
0: you like that? That's what most important is. Do you like, uh, you know, what you what you're doing right now? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I think that's what matters the most, right? Eventually.
1: Yeah. No, I'm I'm enjoying very much what I'm doing in my career, and I and I because I work from home a lot of times, I can spend a lot of time with my with my wife and kids, and so I I, I mean my my situation I travel a lot, but it's it's honestly no different than if I was an airline pilot or a flight attendant, hmm. you know. Yeah, they're gone half the time. I'm gone half the time. The difference is when I'm home, I'm still working, and they're they're not working when they're home. So it's not yeah, yeah analogy, but okay. You know what I mean? It's it, it's yeah, it's it's a uh, just it's a path that I chose, and it's and it's 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 been good.
0: Got it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I think uh, one of the last questions is: uh, if you have a giant billboard, such that you could just. Dis- <laughs> such that you could display a great message or a quote for everyone to follow. Of course, it's not about your company, Vio media and DSO sure. project. Uh, what, <laughs> yeah. uh, what would you like to tell people or the dental world, preferably
1: generic, uh, dental people? Um, I think if it was going to be one thing, you know, it, it's, a, it's about culture. So I would just say, focus on your people. Okay. And you know, whether you're a dentist or you're b- building a dental business, um, Focus on your people, you know, you train them, treat them right, build a good culture, give them what they want as much as you can. And, uh, the rest of it takes care of themselves to, a, to a large degree, you know, um, mm-hmm. now that would probably be, if, if I had a, a little billboard, that'd probably be at least one of my top things I would probably offer people focus oh. on your people. Great. Thank you.
0: Um, now, uh, before we wrap up, do you have any, uh, any advice, any comments, anything for, uh, for the audience out there?
1: um well assuming the audience here is going to be mostly people in the dental industry (laughs) um yeah I, i think just my parting advice would be you know if you're looking to scale the practice grow the practice you know focus on your culture your operations get those things dialed in and then you know like i said you know if you want to read the book there's a lot of great advice in there um it's uh there's just a lot of information around how to do it right what sources and tools to use and don't be afraid to invest in resources. I mean, sometimes I, I talk to Dennis and they're, they're not willing to invest in their business like a business person would. And so, you know, investing in staff training, investing in technology, you know, don't don't be free to spend money on those things and try it and everything's not going to work out. But man, there's some great software, there's some great things out there that can really help people in their practice these days. So, you know, I, I guess those would be some of my parting parting thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all your time. Oh. Yeah, no, it, it was it was uh, fun. I, I enjoyed it. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to join your podcast.
0: Would you like to get a really small email a couple times a month to see what hashtag POD is up to? What are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we doing? What's stupid, funny, entertaining, and some weird stuff that we've gotten ourselves into? Then go to com slash extra. E-X-T-R-A That's right podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra and you will get a really small email from us to give you that little extra kick and keep you busy exploring the world we travel You can also find us on Facebook at podcastsofdentistry.com slash Facebook Thank you for listening Hashtag POD and I'll see you inside